0: Hello retro movie lovers and welcome back to the movie graveyard We got a real treat here, we're going real full circle This is an episode we've been wanting to do for a very long time uh, And uh, we, we kind of had a good occasion So uh, obviously Trev is here with me Trev, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, God. how you doing?
0: I'm doing awesome, and let me tell you why I'm doing awesome Trev
1: mm-hmm. We
0: have uh, we have hit a milestone uh, This episode will be coming out in May But we're recording it in uh, mid-April right here but I want to say, like, I want to thank the listeners, too, because we had our highest whatever rated download month, like, we keep breaking records, but March, was just, it, it jumped beyond my wildest dreams, uh, how many listeners and how many people, jumped, especially on the older episodes, a lot of people going back and just rediscovering our back catalog, so I hope people are enjoying that. And then also, too... Hit it, hit an overall milestone. Um, not even really since the beginning of this show, I say it's since 2017 when we switched servers, but like, yeah, we hit another milestone. I want to thank everybody for helping us hit 30,000 downloads. I know that's a very, very small number compared to like popular podcasts, but for something here that we're like, type of thing where we just only talk about old movies and. You know, we only do it every once in a while, and we only... (laughs) Yeah, and just for fun, you know? Just 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 for fun. Just a
1: little hobby. For us, this is kind of our excuse to get to catch up with each other. Exactly.
0: And And then, like, that just ties into what we're covering today, the awesome Death Wish 3, because Death Wish 2 was, I think, the third or fourth episode we ever done on this podcast. Me and Corey did it, and it was the first one where it's like we got listeners basically yeah. like I'm
1: excited. Cause uh, you know, this is, this is definitely, this is more unique for you and I, I feel like you and I always do yeah. kind of, uh, you know, older like cult horror films yeah, or we yeah. do our themed episodes, but I don't know if you and I have ever done like just a good trash exploitation action film. Um, but no. I know that you, you like live and bleed that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to finally dip my toes into it as well. Cause I, I love that stuff too. I just never, uh, it's like, I feel like we always pitch horror ones to each other. Exactly.
0: What, what do you say? If it bleeds, we can watch it pretty much.
1: Our- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's still that's still definitely true of this film. So yeah. it's not like we're stepping too out of the bounds here.
0: Not at all. It's it's horror, just of a different kind. So like yeah, like I feel very good. I feel like, you know, we we're coming like full circle in the history of the podcast and Things are doing better now than ever. And it's it was it was time, you know, like like we always danced around it. Like I always wanted to make Bronson a staple of this show. Never really happened for whatever reason. I got to say, that's kind of like the funnest part of this show, Trev, is it's constantly like talking to, you know, people that, that jump on as co-hosts. And what do you want? What do you like? What do you like to do? And figuring things out. But then it's like also, too, it's like the like, next thing you know, three, four years have gone by and you're like, damn, like what happened to Boyo? We got to get back home boyo bronson over here <laughs> can't let him go and also too uh i i pretty much kicked off uh the quarantine period last year march april 2020 i went full in on bronson i did a whole bronson marathon uh, a lot of his movies for some reason were on uh satellite about a year ago and i, ca- I caught about four or five of them like so yeah like i feel like i'm just stepping back in time here a big way, oh. so yeah. Let's let's get it rolling. Cause did it's you? Just,
1: oh, let me just quickly ask: Did you go on to also go into uh, Robert Bronzy films as well, or? <laughs> yeah. I actually
0: know more. I know. I know that's a joke, but I actually shockingly know a lot more about Robert Bronzy than than anybody probably should. Or you think we can or. talk about
1: that at the end? I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, I, I'm I'm actually living in the town right now where Rob, Robert Bronzy uh, shot the majority of his uh, his tribute, Death Kiss. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you can believe that. So yeah, so we got remotes in hand, getting ready to watch Death Wish. I'm gonna say one, two, three, go. And when I say go, please hit play on your DVD, Blu-ray, I guess 4K Ultra HD remotes, or your streaming remotes, or your PS3 controllers, or your Should
1: PS4. We? Should we tell them where we're at in terms, like?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just so giddy. I'm like, I'm jumping. We're, we're on the Blu-ray. We're at the nine-second mark. There's a little brand new MGM logo that they attach to the front. We're, you know, skipping that because that's not part of the original print of the movie. We're on nine seconds. It's pure black screen. Mm-hmm. And when we hit play, we're going to see the Canon logo real come up. The next thing will come up. So yeah, nine seconds on the Blu-ray. Uh, probably real similar on the DVD. So you got your remote, Trev.
1: Um, i'm good to go man
0: one two three go all right yeah i can't believe a hundred episodes of this show and I, I forgot to tell them where we're at thanks for saving me
1: on that one oh, i still to this day you know it is, it is two it is 2021 i'm a 40 year old man and that canon logo when it comes on a screen i still get excited
0: you're a 40 year old man but you are not a 40 year old canon virgin because you've seen a lot of their awesome movies
1: yeah, I mean, well, you know, like you, I grew up on this stuff. And I will yeah. say that, so uh, a reason I'm definitely excited to do this film is uh, I I rewatched this yesterday in preparation and go, I don't know if you'll go with me on this, but I will say there's a lot of great canon films, but this might be the most canon movie that canon ever canoned. I think this is this is canon at its peak right here. I feel like you, you when you watch
0: this movie, you're living, breathing, tasting everything that the Go-Go Boys are
1: about, wouldn't you say? I think so. Yeah, I think this this has pretty much everything you want from from the studio and from the from yeah like you said from the brothers. Uh, This is just uh, it's just pure immaculate form for them.
0: I feel like if they would have been doing subtitles for this point of the series, this one would call be called Death Wish Three: Back to New York. Wouldn't you say?
1: Something like that. Yeah, back. I think that even the poster might say back in action. Mm. Um, But. I love this, even starting with the, the bridge, just like they couldn't even wait to get it like when the bridge like looked nice. Yeah. <laughs> <Just,
0: laughs> the,
1: the construction guys construction, is all yeah. tore
0: up shitty. So, I guess real quick, we should touch briefly because I want to say this is actually the conclusion, right, of a trilogy of Death Wish films that were directed uh, by Michael Winter, obviously mm-hmm. all starring Mike Bronson, but Michael Winter. And, and the reason I want to bring that up is uh, we'll get into it later as the film unfolds, but this one is like. There's a lot of similarities with the previous films. Obviously, it's trying to like recreate the, the formula of success, box office success. But this movie takes like a lot of departures. It goes
1: even further than the previous yeah, films. I it's imagine if the second one didn't exist. Imagine right. just showing someone the first one, and then jumping into this one. I don't know that you could convince anyone, get them to believe you that it's the same director uh the, yeah. the, the second one has that kind of it's that important piece in the middle but even that i mean it's still from what the first one is to even two and then especially three it's pretty crazy that michael Winner did all of these
0: yeah jumping back in time real quick 1974 saw the release of the original death wish and i want to say death wish is uh it's much more serious film much more of a drama than it is an action mm-hmm. film wouldn't you agree
1: trev yeah i think it's what you know if a vigilante film made today right And i know there was a death wish remake a couple of years ago but i mean you know with the thematics of today i think a movie like death wish is what a vigilante wage they would have to be more right a more right. sobering look at the realities of what that would be like to decide to wage a one-man war on crime you know because they don't pull they don't pull play him as the superhero in that at all you know uh-huh. he vomits after he first kills someone um, he has difficulty taking down the criminals it really much plays like what if a regular person decided to seek this kind of vengeance
0: and we gotta say too the thing that i think is the most unique because the whole vigilante vengeance thing has been really like a whole genre unto itself but i would think one thing that that separates death wish from all those other films is um you know the first one his his wife gets uh killed it's, it's a home invasion type thing rape robbery murder his wife gets killed his daughter gets traumatized But he, they actually, they, they, which by the way, you know, just for trivia, one of the assailants is a very strange young Jeff Goldblum. But the most important thing is, the police never catch on who that who did this, who did it. So like, it's the first movie is Bronson just going on the streets of New York and killing random criminals. He's not even like hunting who did it to his family. He's like, whereas all these other The Death Wish two, three, four, they're they're all like very directly tied to him you know, identified like with a particular gang that he's trying to take down and say,
1: well, it's not a death wish film. If you don't have uh, a later, more famous actor as one of the gang members. So you said we have Jeff Goldblum in the gang in the first film. We get uh, Lawrence Fishburne in the second one. And we just saw Alex Winter in the, the gang in this one.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, you know, uh, very fitting that, that the uh, the star power kind of dips as well. So you get Cold Bloom, <laughs> who's been in the biggest hits of all time. You 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 get uh, Fishburne, who's a very dramatic actor, but been in maybe only one really big film series, I'd say The Matrix. And now you get Alex Winter, who pretty much was only in Bill and Ted and The Lost Boys. So.
1: What a, what a slam on the John Wick franchise, which Laurence Fishburne is also in. Yeah, but he's very, what you say, a background character. In yeah, I so mean, that. he was brought in because of the Matrix connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think you're right in terms of that, like the dipping star part. Star because now that I said that, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like no famous people in Death Wish 4 or 5. <laughs> yeah. So I think that trend actually kind of ends here. Um, also, I just wanted to briefly mention during the opening credits here, because there's already so much to talk about. I know. We're already getting behind. Uh, this apartment building. Let me just briefly say how confusing this apartment building is, because you notice like, every door they show Always has like a different kind of like number on the front. It's like the, the numbering is all different. None of these apartments look like they exist in the same building. They're yeah. all different like architecturally and the inside interior design is completely different. Um, Charles Bronson's friend's apartment is like all wood paneled. And these other ones look a little bit more classy. But, uh, but in the opening credits, uh, this is such a canon move. You saw the credit for uh, music by Jimmy Page. Uh, that's kind of a lie. He did not have yeah. anything to do with this film. It's only that they reused the score he did for A Death Wish 2 and we're able to throw his name back into the opening credits.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird cuz there is a second guy who who does most of the the majority of the score and then like if you watch the end credits, it will say Jimmy Page and Michael So and so uh <laughs> but but yeah, the opening credits is like hey, Jimmy Page cuz like uh yeah, like like I was um I threw in uh, right before we recorded this. I I threw in like Death Wish 2. I uh I got the unrated version recently. And because I, I wanted to see how Bronson's performance was compared to his performance in this. And like, yeah, you can definitely tell the Jimmy Page music actually is pretty much all Jimmy Page music in the original. And it sounds much more rock oriented, whereas this one has a lot more of a, a synth score to it, I'd say.
1: Yeah. So because we should like talk about like you were just kind of briefly mentioning the first Death Wish. So as you said, this the story of the first Death Wish is he's just this uh, regular kind of businessman in New York he was in the Korean War, but he was a conscientious objector. So he was just, what was he, a photographer or a medic, I think, right? I can't, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, so he refused to kind of, like, take part in combat. He's kind of, you know, the typical um, peace-loving liberal. And then his wife and daughter are uh, are brutally assaulted. His wife passes away, and his daughter goes into, like, basically a catatonic state. Uh, and that's what sends him in the, in the, you know, search for just taking out criminals. And Death Wish 2, uh, you know, the conclusion of the first Death Wish... The police basically allow him to get away with what he did because they don't want people to know that this vigilante was out there and, you know, it was kind of a good thing for the crime stats. So they they allow him – they set him free with the condition that he'll leave New York. And Death Wish 2 – is it uh, San Francisco? Is that where Death Wish 2 is or is it – I thought it was Los Angeles. No, it's Los, it, Los okay, Angeles, it's, it's Los yeah. Angeles yes. yeah. So he picks up in Los Angeles, uh, you know, he's dating a new woman, and this is like the, the most like mean-spirited thing about Death Wish 2, of course, is that his daughter, we learn, is still kind of, you know, facing the uh, you know, the, the repercussions of what happened in the first film, and he, she is attacked again, uh, kidnapped by a new gang who rapes her, and she tries to get away from them by jumping out a window and ends up impaled on a fence and i just every time i watch yeah. death wish 2 i just can't believe they made that decision to after everything they put the daughter through in the first film to have it happen to her again and then kill her um, well
0: yeah it, it's it's very because because you actually get a double rape scene in death wish 2 first there's a very mm-hmm. long extended brutal rape with the maid which is insanely yeah. like I, like i don't know how to feel about it in on Unrated version because Unrated version is much more graphic and lurid but at the same time it's like it 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 Pum, pummels home more of the uh the tragedy of it and pretty much yeah it, it's like the ne- like pretty much the next scene after that is they're going to do the you know they kidnap the daughter they're going to do the same thing to do to her and she does get raped and it's a very strange especially in the unrated version it's very weird like i don't know how to describe it it's, it's like the guy is like trying to make love to her or something and she's like totally like blanked out and then it's pretty much like the rest of the guys are getting ready to take their turns i guess you would say and and then she jumps out the window so it's like i thought that was, like it, well not only she jumps out the window trap she jumps out and like lands on like impales on like a, yeah. a, a iron gate it's it's very gory and horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but it's it's interesting the character as much as she was catatonic and almost in a childlike state it's like once she like, you know, it started to happen to her again. She she made the choice. Like, I don't know how much jumping out of the windows escape, but I felt like it was almost like she was choosing suicide. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So that's what sets him in the path in the second one to become more of, like, you know, the Punisher, essentially. And and the second one definitely has more of a, you know, an elevated feeling to it. But, I mean, again, we're, just, we're not even that far in this movie. There's already been so much to talk about. But I think this one, right away, this film establishes just a new tone for this series because he has now returned to New York. And this is just... I know New York in the 80s was bad, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're just in cartoon territory from, from the, the word go in this film in terms of just crime, just rampant everywhere. You can't walk down any street without just dozens of thugs and criminals running around, mugging everybody, assaulting everybody. And in fact, and this just continues like right away. This is where the series two is already stretching it. Reality is broken at this point to the idea that anybody that gets involved in Paul Kersey's life, any friend, any relative, yeah. is just doomed for death. And right at the, the very beginning of this film, it's his friend that he's coming to visit New York. As soon as Charles Bronson's plane is touching – or sorry, he's, uh, yeah, as soon as his plane is touching down, his friend is being murdered in his apartment by a gang. Now, I want to ask you, Go, what is your conception of why do these gangs – What are, what are, are they attacking this apartment building for – this rent for like money is it just they enjoy beating up all these old people living in the apartment building
0: yeah it's established with the uh conversation between bronson and um i'm getting so confused there's so many uh martin balsam there's so many older actors in this one uh but, uh, yeah, like, uh, they they established that, like, pretty much it's they're just extorting the old people. And it's like, and Bronson even asked him, like, what? Like, protection? Like, is that what this is? And he's like, well, you know, Martin Blossom's like, yeah, something like that. So, I mean, it's pretty much just extortion of, like, give us money mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But, I mean, it's obvious, too, that the only reason that these people, these older folks are living in this um this areas cuz they're very the very uh impoverished I'd say so it's it's i mean it's it's an extreme level of violence and i mean i'm not saying this can't happen in real life cuz obviously all kinds of crazy things do happen but it's a, it it's a it's an extreme level of violence for you know a very small amount of money you know what i mean
1: yeah now far be it for me to um you know talk or speak ill of the, the screenplay of Death Wish 3 and its connection to reality. but talk about the coincidence here of uh, so there was a misunderstanding. And the police thought perhaps Kersey was the one who murdered his friend and mm-hmm. he's been arrested and thrown to jail. And the minute he's thrown into the jail cell, we learn he' is in the jail cell with the who we will find out is the leader of the gang that uh, attacked his friend and murdered his friend. And it's really strange because there's no dialogue spoken between them for him to learn that, but they just see each other and instantly take a disliking to each other setting up the conflict for the rest of the film and it's just that's just such a cheap way to bring those two characters together the first time but i guess that's what you expect from the canon death wish series and i'm not talking bad about it cuz i love it this is right. one of the stupidest films ever made but one of the most highly entertaining films ever made so
0: yeah i guess we'll we'll, we'll talk about that for a second so the, the first movie paul kersey is very it's very serious he's very much a man in grief a uh, man who has nothing really kinda left to live for. And he's he's doing these these vigilante things against thugs on the streets and he's sloppy and he's emotionally torn up about it, but he's compulsed to do it. It's like it's almost like a man who his emotions have him out of control. Uh part two, he's he's I'd say he's settled into the fact that he realizes he can fulfill I mean obviously there's an emotional trauma of his his uh, his maid, who he's, he has a very close, friendly relationship with, um, you know, being murdered, so he wants to avenge her, and then obviously what happens like later in the film with his daughter, so he's he's avenging. So like part two, he's very much like I I always thought of him, and I really like his part two characterization as well. Is um, he's like an angel of death, and he's comfortable with it. Part three, he's like almost like. It's weird, it's like almost like this was uh influenced by Schwarzenegger and Stallone films he's like he's this weird like kind of slap happy badass just like walking around all tough and like the way he fights the guys in the jail and all kinds of shit happens. It's just it's very like the Paul Kersey in part three has like really i'd say no relation to yeah. Paul Kersey in part one, like you could kind of see the the connection from the character. Uh, changing from part one to part two, like, you know, it's like a, a, a believable character arc. But whatever happened to him between part two and part three, like, I don't know. like he's...
1: Well, and I don't think it's helped any by Bronson's performance, which let's just say, I mean, as much as I love this film and I love the Bronson, you know, old man action genre in general, it it's well known that... He, by the time you get to Death Wish 3 in particular, he's doing these for a paycheck. He's no yeah. longer really emotionally connected to this franchise, and he, he seems pretty bored in this one. Uh, and that ends up being, you know, again, that feeds into some of what makes this movie fun, but it's not like he's going out of his way to, uh, you know, draw an emotional through line to the original film.
0: Yeah, like I would actually say Death Wish 1 is a legit, solid, good drama. Like almost yeah. to the point where you're like, why did they get Bronson? Because Bronson did. Bronson was a tough guy in all his previous films and other films, but he he always had a hint humanity. So it's almost like a departure that he's playing such a dramatic role, even though he did show over the years he did have dramatic chops. Part two, I'd say, was more in line with like what you expect from Bronson. Part three, and it's like it's weird too, because like there was only like three years in between. Like the first one was seventy four, and then they did two and eighty two. Uh, and then they did this one in eighty-five. So it's only three years after part two. And it's like, I could get if it's the same if it was a different director. But considering it's the same director, like why did him and Bronson both just be like, Maybe it was a payday for both. I mean, like, they almost throw this film away. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just like everything is offhand and slap ass and like over the top, like I guess we should say Ed Lauder is the police chief, mm-hmm. who he definitely knows who Paul Kersey is and what he does. And he's like as much as, like, I think it was Vincent Gardina in the first film, as much as he decides to uh, turn a, a, a blind... Or maybe Gardine is in the second one, I can't remember. remember—but He's in both. He's, he, oh, they both. send
1: him to L.A. to okay. uh, to help with the case in the first one. Yeah. Okay. Or in the second
0: one, yeah. Yeah, credibility does get stretched in Part 2, but credibility really gets stretched in Part 3 to the breaking point. But this time, Ed Lauder kind of takes over the, the role, and he's again it's it's compared to what the gardenia character was in the first two films i mean this guy is just like like i couldn't even tell if he was maybe supposed to be the villain a little bit like there was like a double side where he was working with the gang too or something but like it, like it's just insane how much he like not only is going to let bronson loose on the street to to take out the gang or clean up the streets but like he's kind of like almost like his handler wouldn't you say at various points of the film
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he he legit is telling him here, you know, I'll let you go out there, just be Mr. Vigilante, kill whoever you want, as long as you have occasionally let us get, you know, you tell us what's going on and you let us make some of the busts. So we look good. Um, and It's strange, too, because, again, on the on the writing level the very first scene with lauder he was like so anti this guy and so anti-vigilantes um and he's just like he's like beating up bronson he's just you know and then he just turns on a dime the one scene where you see him reporting like the crime statistics and how bad the department's looking and just right there he's like i guess i'll just let this guy loose (laughs) let him go murder all these criminals Uh, but yeah yeah it's
0: it's i don't know it's it's just it's just weird um
1: It's strange, too, because it puts the film in a different kind of category in terms of, you know, and maybe that was kind of the calculation of it. But in the vigilante genre, it's almost always, you know, we're working against the cops. And this is one of the few vigilante films where you're saying, like, I mean, I guess there's only this one detective who knows about it. But still, he is operating in, in this film, you know, under the purview of the police to a certain degree. So, like, another thing that I feel like
0: when Bronson goes back to the neighborhood, is we should say that that they filmed as little as they could in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a New York film, and then they immediately, I guess, for financial reasons, or I'm not really sure, they moved the production for the majority of it to London. And uh, yeah, like you can really tell. Like, did you notice that too, Trev? Like the the rundown neighborhood. It doesn't look really anything like a American neighborhood.
1: <laughs> no, it's strange because yeah, like the setup of the streets. It's like very bizarre. It's like this weird like cul-de-sac kind of area Mm -hmm. that i you know and i've never been to new york but even i know how new york works on the grid system (laughs) and uh it definitely does look like yeah it looks more like something you'd see in a small little british town
0: and also too like wouldn't you say too the thing that kind of gives it away that's new york is like there's an amazing amount of just like literally rubble everywhere (laughs) (laughs)
1: let's say like there's elements of this like between so first of all i again this is like the 30th time i've had opportunity to say this on this show but i love 80s punks We got a good smattering of them in the part two, but then this is, I mean, these all look like extras from the break in films. I wonder if Canon just had like this one, you know, department where they just had all these costumes, but, uh, but but they all look like this looks post-apocalyptic almost, you know, they look like those kind of eighties post-apocalyptic punks. And yeah, as you said, with the rubble everywhere, this looks like a bomb has gone off in New York.
0: Yeah. Like, like it. It's almost like if they wouldn't have bothered to film any of it in New York and they would have only would have filmed the entire movie in this small little area, you really could have passed it for a, a, you know, whatever apocalyptic film. It reminds me of like those... uh, there's movies like like whatever it is, Bronx Warriors or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like those type of films. But uh, yeah, let's talk about the gang and let's talk about the, the, the punk kind of get up that the gang sports where you can kind of identify in this neighborhood who's in the gang and who's not.
1: To a certain degree, because there's a lot of scenes where they seem to have like a lot of ancillary members who are just, uh, in some cases, look like 55 year old men who, yeah. uh, who run up and help them. Who <laughs> I assume were maybe on the set. Oh crap, we need more gang members. Call the catering crew over. Uh, get uh, wardrobe, you know, to join in. Um, but yeah, are you talking about like just the, the general like little makeup thing? They yeah, have?
0: the makeup thing that kind of mm-hmm. identifies them although although the gang guys aren't homophobic, because it looked like there was two men walking down the street with their arms around yeah, each other
1: for progressive enough uh this character here by the way, who becomes like a through line for the film the giggler they call yeah, him the giggler uh the guy who giggles as he as he mugs women and runs away with their purse is uh actually a character from Brian Garfield's original death Wish novel the first uh the the novel that started at all yeah i i heard I heard about that, and I was just like
0: it's weird that they they didn't really like want to make this at all like the original death wish film but they were willing to go back to the original novel and try to incorporate something (laughs) Mm -hmm. into it. and like yeah like i actually saw alex winter talk um about the making of this film and it was like i think he was one of the the you know the the small amount of like americans that went over to film and you know he he was an unknown actor pretty much at this point hadn't really done much and it was like kind of a surreal experience to go over to London and film with Charles Bronson, and whatnot. But uh...
1: I'm going to pay a closer attention this time, but I feel like we never see Alex Winner's character die in this film either. So, in my mind, he gets away from the fray at the end. And he moves to California and, and becomes one of the Lost Boys. He could he could be like we do
0: see his death, but it's so oh cool. do we oh, okay? But it's so like he technically gets shot, but it cuts away so quick because it's like during the flurry of action during the the end, you know. Mm-hmm. But I thought there was going to be much more of a mano a mano showdown with him and Bronson because they kind of meet have a lot of chance meetings throughout the film. You know what I mean. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much thrown away his, his death. I mean, or I should say his shooting. Cause like I said, maybe he doesn't die. Maybe you're right. Maybe he, you know, it's just a flesh one.
1: That's what I mean here too. Like, so what you're, we're just talking about like the, the weird location. So he, now we have Bronson and Martin balls outside of the apartment building and like the front of the apartment building is not a sidewalk and, but it's also not a street. It's just like this kind of empty lot.
0: It's but like then dirt to try and, and
1: rubble. <laughs> yeah. It's like a dirt lot, but then to try and make it look like it's New York, there's just toys. There's constantly people walking around. Yeah. And you're just like, what are these people doing? Where are they going? Why are they just walking around this dirt lot? It's it's very strange.
0: And I gotta say too, and I mean, there's many instances where it pointed out, but the, the you know the I guess I, there, there is the younger couple which we did see. uh you know, a, a big celebrity there in another small role, but uh, we'll get to her later when she kind of comes on screen more. But like for the most part, Bronson kind of sticks with with this building full of older people, and I thought that was kind of a good move. But what's not a good move is um, like Martin Balsam goes out to the street to meet him. Is oh, you're Charlie's friend, right? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's very kind of like I don't know sloppy screenwriting, whatever. But um, you know, just quick, get to the point. But the thing that so becomes a recurring theme is Bronson. If he doesn't know now, he will know very shortly that this gang has eyes on him and they're after him. And uh, the thing about it is he openly consorts with his friends. He does things against the gang out in open. And it it just pretty much everybody he's, he's close to in this film, he just immediately becomes a target because of him. So how did you feel about that, Trev?
1: uh yeah that's what i mean that's the that's the ongoing joke of the death wish films right you just you don't want to get involved with this guy and it's uh, but i look if you wanted to act like this movie smarter than it is you could say that that's in line with the the overall message of vigilante films you know with those who seek revenge should uh, dig two graves right uh by pursuing this kind of justice all you're doing is making the world a little worse mm. but i don't think they were thinking that but you're you're definitely yeah. right he, this the second he gets involved I mean, they technically win at the end, but the the cost, man, the cost.
0: <laughs> oh, now, it, I, it's, it, it's taken to a nuclear level. Go ahead. Yeah, Drew. Just like,
1: and even just like kind of cheesy screenwriting stuff, right? The fact that he opens the window there and the Fraker, the leader of the gang, is hanging out across the street. And he like instantly looks up and sees them in the window as like, why? How would he have sensed that? It's yeah. just like the movie takes so many like little narrative shortcuts like that. I also want to ask you, though, this idea of him, you know, so the the hook of this film, you know, if you're trying to categorize the Death Wish films in your head, especially as you get into the later ones, they're all kind of corny. Um, You know, you're right. This is the one where, oh, this is the one where Bronson teams up with a bunch of senior citizens to take on a gang. And I guess there was just something in the air around this time, because in 1985, we also got the film Tenement from Roberta Finlay. Or do you know Tenement?
0: um what I, I might have i'm not sure what's the movie where everybody like bangs on pipes when the gang comes everybody <laughs> bangs on that
1: pipes. might be tenement it's been a very yeah. long time since i've seen tenement but that is this that is the same idea it's like a it's a south yeah. bronx apartment home that's being terrorized by this gang and all the people in the gang in the apartment building decide to band together to fight them off um and again some of them being quite older um and i was trying to like think, wonder like i was trying to like was one of those films a ripoff of the other but this is one of those cases where they both came out the same year so that seems unlikely Um, but I don't know maybe they somehow heard what was going on and one of them was like you know trying to beat the other one out I don't know
0: yeah I I feel like a lot of these things kind of become the way they're conceived it seems like the way we've seen this play out over the years Trev is I think these things are kind of conceived independently Mm -hmm. but once the word gets out that you're in production and whatever like then it does become a race just to get yours out before the other in, uh, did you
1: notice that? The, did you notice at the end of that scene right there with in Martin Balsam's apartment that at the very end it was clearly daytime? When yeah. Martin Balsam grabbed the key, and the sun was <laughs> shining in through the window in the back.
0: I was gonna say too because you said like the apartments that are in, literally in the same building, like in the same hallway, like Balsam's apartment is like much more Victorian. It has like literally like sixteen foot high ceilings. <laughs> yeah. And then Bonson's friends, it kind of has like more traditional like ten foot tall ceilings, wood paneling. You know what I mean? Just
1: yeah. I mean, this one is definitely a set because of something that happens later, you know. Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it's just. But that's. I mean, like even like I said, I was just laughing yesterday watching it when they were showing the apartment uh, numbers and everyone's doors, and they're all stylized differently. And I'm like, well, there's no uniformity here, so clearly you're just filming these at different places.
0: I feel like the Death Wish remake, which by the way, it's not really much of a remake. It 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 has a, a you know, it doesn't really. I wouldn't say. I mean, loosely, but you know it's not beat for beat like the bronson original but i think the death wish remake would have been actually more popular if they would have chose to just remake death wish 3
1: <laughs> Probably. Well, with bruce wanna, willis <laughs> that would have been crazy. As, as we especially get more into the, the, the crazy action i want to ask you about that about what you what your take is on on a vigilante film today and like yeah. how, if it can if it can be the same but uh yeah that's something i'm sure we'll get to But this was certainly like a genre that, you know, was very, very popular throughout the 80s and, you know, late 70s. Um, And I I do. I I love vigilante films. You know, I I think it's a it's a very fun genre. It's one of those genres that's morally complicated because it's very much, you know, I'm very much a left leaning person. And most vigilante movies are very much a celebration of right wing fantasy a little bit. Mm. But that's the thing. They're just entertainment. They're just they're just fun. And it's, you know, clearly I wouldn't be rooting for these people in real life. And in fact, we've seen real life vigilantes are usually just like total Creeps like Bernard gets, you know. Yeah. But uh, vigilante movies always have the the benefit of show how they can show the bad guys actually are super bad, and there's no question of ooh, perhaps this was you know, th- these aren't uh, just people trying to you know get by because of bad situations or. Accidentally killing an innocent person.
0: I got to say too, like the the difference too, uh, without going into specifics and talking about things I'm sure people don't want to hear about, is for the most part when you hear about vigilante justice in real life, it's usually it's usually somebody who has uh, not really been the victim of something. It's some it's somebody who kind of has almost like a uh, hero fantasy that they're going to stop something from happening, yes, yeah. and th- and then it usually goes wrong. Whereas like in the movies, it's always somebody who's been very gravely wronged and gravely you know what i mean like yeah. uh like like you can sympathize uh you know uh emotionally with them and why they're doing what they're doing but in real life like yeah it's strangely usually not that type of situation
1: that's why I kind of felt when you you said like if the death the death Wish remake maybe should have been a remake of this one I kind of felt when that film came out that they missed an opportunity by I would say the only really way to get away with doing a Death Wish movie today is to not have it be about a white guy you know yeah uh, I, I don't think that I don't think anyone wants to watch that anymore you know especially a white guy in a city like Chicago um, you know there's, you're, you're just bringing complicated questions of race into the factor and in fact I think a Death Wish film about you know um, you know, a black family who's perhaps, you know, loses someone due to police violence or something and goes on to vigilante streak. Imagine, I mean, it'll be controversial, but that's going to pull in more box office for sure.
0: I, you know, it's funny. Cause I, cause I figured we would talk about this a little bit and I was thinking about like, if you had to make, you know, not, not like literally death wish or whatever, but, but, it, but actually maybe if you just wanted to make some more death wish, I think death wish would actually be more interesting if you took on a, a female lead character and uh you know got away from the uh the rape type uh whatever which i mean not saying that that can't you know be dramatically handled in a film today but it's it's certainly not uh as accepted in entertainment the way it was in the 80s i mean e- even i and i'm somebody who's never shocked or never offended by just about anything even i i'm just like why were they so cavalier about rape in the 80s films you know what i mean
1: yeah, and I think you are finally seeing. You know, when it is handled now, people are finding more interesting ways to handle it with a film like Promising Young Woman, um, yeah, and not being so exploitative. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I agree that would be, that would be an interesting take too. It's just Bruce Willis is not who you want to see in a Death Wish remake, so especially.
0: I mean, yeah, maybe Bruce Willis. Maybe twenty years ago, <laughs> yeah, you you would you would have had a different result, but yeah. But uh, yeah, here here we go. Did you think it was strange that Bronson invited himself to dinner with the uh, the I think they're Jewish, <laughs> the Jewish couple.
1: I mean, who's going to turn down, you know, good cabbage soup, I suppose, especially someone of Bronson's age, you know?
0: I love how Bronson goes and buys, like, the shittiest used car, and then he uses his bait because he knows these fuckers will rob anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that scene, I mean, right there, like, again, like there's the, the murder, like the violence scenes in this are just so funny. And I know that's a very popular scene on YouTube, but just, uh, you know, with not a second's hesitation, <laughs> yeah. just pulls out the gun and blows them both away. And with seemingly no repercussions, we never see anyone arrive to yeah. get the bodies or, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it just like, happened. <laughs> and just uh, just this too, like when the, the police drive by and all these like gang members are just like throwing bricks and stuff at yeah. the cop car. It's yeah, this is uh, this I'm sorry. Like I said, I know New York was rough in the eighties. I'm very, I'm well aware of the history, but this is just this is just something else it's ridiculous the the vision of new york it portrays i, I got to
0: say too that that scene where uh, like how he said like the cop car drove by and the gang people just kept throwing the bricks and stuff it reminded me of that one police academy movie where that gang like took over the whole city like you remember that yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. and um i guess this is a good time finally like do you want to talk about the gang leader here um Fraker, yeah, sure. Yeah, Fraker. A very tall, uh, white Irish man. Uh, He has what I guess you would deem as a reverse mohawk, meaning he has a strip of, uh, you know, that's been shaved down the middle of his hair. And then, like, the rest of his hair is just like a normal.
1: Yeah, uh, it looks very silly in the. I mean, it always looks silly. It looks sillier in the jail cell. And then you find out later it's done so that the makeup can run all the way through. I was actually kind of trying to figure out. I don't know if they put this much thought into it, but the the makeup is kind of this like red line that comes down your forehead, and then black streaks that go across horizontally. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if there's any kind of take to do. You have more streaks if you're higher up in the gang? Is that like right. a signal of your rank? Or
0: yeah, it, it's it's very weird. Now, like like here we we have um, I don't like you said like like these these men who are harassing the couple here the. Hispanic couple like yeah like like it's just like it's reaching everywhere like the Mm -hmm. gang is everywhere at all times they're never like huddled you know they're just throughout the community i like this young boy who cheers bronson on behind a tree
1: Now, do you believe that two young strapping men like that, like those those two gang members, especially the one who was like kind of, you know, taunting her, was yeah. very, very well built. Yeah. Um, and do you believe those two guys would run away from Charles Bronson? Now, I know we know Charles Bronson is a very tough guy, but in the reality yeah. of this film, the fact that everyone is just so kind of scared of this old man. Yeah. A uh, little, little tough to take.
0: Yeah, so um, I guess we should say of the Latino couple um, – the wife is actually a very well-known actress, uh, Marina mm-hmm. Sirtis from Star Trek: The Next Generation.
1: Um, performing in this film and what I can only say, uh, it would, I would have to unfortunately call uh, brownface. <laughs>
0: now, I was I was going to ask you about that because for people who don't know, I believe she's of Greek descent.
1: And, she is, yes, yeah, and, and, and um, they're, they're clearly they're clearly putting some makeup on her. Okay, this.
0: see, yeah, I, I I couldn't quite tell. Uh, and it it took me by surprise because the first time I viewed this movie, I didn't know it was her until I saw the credits. I was like doing some research after the movie, and I was like, dang, that was her. And I rewound it, I was like, yeah, because because this movie was it was only maybe I want to say three to four years before the Star Trek Next Generation came on, you know, and uh, re- remarkably uh, visually different person, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is attributed to the makeup, like you said, but getting back to Fraker, like, uh does he remind you of anybody trev like any other? yes and
1: i wonder uh, okay I, I don't know if this is a leading question but are you it does is he remind does he remind you of the kurgan from highlander he does a lot he actually reminds yeah. me of two famous actors he reminds me of the character the
0: kurgan and visually he reminds me of a uh younger version of the uh, villain from uh, halloween three season of the witch and the reason that is, is he actually is the son, his name is Gavin O'Hurley, he is the son of Dan O'Hurley, who played the great Connell Cochran in Halloween 3, and um, yeah, uh, Dan O'Hurley, he, he also played an alien in uh, The Last Starfighter, famously, which, I did some research, he was 65 years old playing a character under heavy makeup, I don't know how they got away with that, but... Some interesting trivia. Also, uh, the guy who plays Fraker, uh, Gavin O'Hurley. He uh, did you did you know this, Trev? He was the uh, he played on Happy Days, the older brother of Richie that kind of just disappeared after a couple episodes.
1: Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I know he's in Superman three. Is he? Um, yeah, I was looking at his filmography the other day, and uh, and uh, or selected filmography, I suppose, because I did not see Happy Days on there, but. But yeah, I saw he was in Willow and Superman Three. Those were the two that stuck out at me.
0: Yeah, he's a very striking actor because of his physicality, but uh, but also too. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like I found it a little. I mean, he probably wasn't that old age wise, but just appearance wise. Like I found him a little unbelievable to be playing the leader of this gang. I, like I expected well, somebody a- much younger.
1: That's what I mean. I mean, it, I, I think one of the more fun things to do with this film, especially if you're watching it multiple times, and you, uh, not that this film requires any high level of concentration, but I, I now enjoy just watching all the gang in the background. And so, like, so right there, you see like Fraker. There's a member of the gang standing behind Fraker that looks like a 60s hippie, you know, yeah. who's now joined this gang. Um, it's a very, like, that thing It's a very multicultural gang, but it's also a very multi-generational gang. Goat, did you, did you recognize or do you know who Fraker's girlfriend is? No, I didn't. Okay, so the blonde woman who's always behind Fraker and is kind of, you know, that they, they never really show them, but they, you know, we can tell they're like a couple. Yeah. But that's uh that's Barbie Wilde, who uh, horror fans would know as the female Cenobite from Hellraiser two.
0: You just blew my mind with that, and but now that you said it, I I kind of kind of see it a little bit, yeah, because she took over the role, right, of the female mm-hmm. Cenobite. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, and yeah. she's and she's definitely run with it. I know she does still to this day a lot of horror convention appearances and
0: yeah interesting again we're we're i'm talking about um flies going into the spider's web here trev (laughs) (laughs) now we have this this lady who's the public defender who was representing kersey when he was arrested um i don't know if there's still they're just kind of unclear if there's still charges hanging over him from that or if he's just in the clear now i think he's in the clear now this woman took a personal interest in uh paul kersey because i mean why wouldn't you if if you're If you're a uh, attractive uh, lawyer in your mid 30s, I'd say why wouldn't you want to hang out with a guy in his early 60s? But
1: yeah, that's but, just the, the raw magnetism of of Bronson. It's just impossible to ignore. Yeah.
0: And and to be meeting and talking clearly right out in the open street, just
1: it's funny because like again, it shows like the mean spiritedness of these films, and in particular with the female characters, because you could make this film with no love interest, and I mean, right. I mean we're not. We're not saying anything out of school or spoiling anything here by saying she is clearly brought in this film just to be another victim. And in a movie that doesn't really need him to lose another, you know, Chrissy doesn't need another personal loss for this story to move forward. So the fact that they even bother with this, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're just ticking off the box of saying, yes, every film needs to have like a love interest. But I don't know that this one did. Yeah,
0: I mean, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. She becomes a love interest. And she, and she's the one we should say in all fairness she's the one pursuing him hard. Bronson really isn't trying to get after it in the beginning but um obviously she becomes another sacrifice being a friend of Paul Kersey uh, whatever. But uh like you said like it's it's very unnecessary because from the get go when just his friend was murdered um he he was on the path of vengeance already. There was no yeah. need there's no need for this.
1: Yeah. We don't need Fraker to be any more evil. We don't need, like, we don't need Kirstie to get more emotionally involved in this this war. I don't know. It's just strange.
0: But do we need Fraker to be always standing on the street corner witnessing everything that happens in this, <laughs> yeah, in this small town? That. We do
1: need that this is strange here too are these cops meant to be like working with the gang or it's just this this whole scene where they come in to take the the gun away from the this is a very weird moment
0: yeah i I agree and when i saw this i I was meant to bring it up to you Uh, i don't like what i assumed where i thought this was going with was that the kind of like local cops because we've seen the 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 gang they can run the police they have the power to run the police on their hood i felt like they kind of like let these two cops like because they probably had these cops on the take or something yeah
1: it it feels like part of maybe something was like cut out or something
0: but then again it it never gets paid off like we never clearly see that these cops are you know but i just assume because the way the guy is like oh just give us the gun and we won't report you or we won't arrest you or whatever you know what i mean and then immediately after his gun is taken the gang targets that particular apartment to rob and uh, threaten these older people so i mean I was a little confused. I was like, well, maybe it was because Bronson just shot those guys out in the street, so they were trying to like round up like whatever loose weapons they could, but I th- I th- I think it's probably most likely that those cops were on the take with the gang. Do
1: you think this gang ever gets bored of just always constantly harassing the same eight elderly couples?
0: I mean, I got to assume that 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 it's they're probably so busy, but that these people are probably just the easiest. <laughs> like they're probably busy um you know doing everything because like when you first watch this one too like you almost feel like it's a little bit of a departure because the way it's set up there's there's no uh reason for any sort of uh sexual assault to happen like like right now where we're at trev there's no hint that there's going to be any sexual assaults in this film right and Mm -hmm. then the 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 plot is clearly on its way we know paul kersey you know see he's just having so much fun in this movie for some reason it's all fun and games this time around but um but yet we still get the obligatory uh, rape scene coming up very shortly.
1: <laughs> and also we'd like this you know uh now we just saw Crisy showing them how to design traps. So yes, Crisy's mm-hmm. character is like evolving into something else here. He's very much more like made into like a a Rambo type character in these sequels, like, like a survivalist wouldn't you say. Yeah, like this expert at uh, at at murder and and setting up death traps for the criminals yeah mm, that, that food does not look good at
0: all <laughs> yeah it, it it looks like uh something they shouldn't have done the close-up on to be honest with you. <laughs> now here we have a good bit of humor he set up the trap in the elderly uh a couples uh, and i should say this is the jewish couple because there's a second elderly couple too that are a little more nondescript um but with them he set up this trap to hit a guy in the face of the board and uh, there's a, there's like a i took it as meant to be a humorous moment trev when they find the gang members teeth in the board
1: yeah well I, mean, I don't understand the physics of even how the teeth are stuck on the board the way they are but uh yeah i just you have to stop asking questions at a certain point even though that's all we're doing <laughs> but
0: maybe this gang was aligned with uh nosferatu Maybe Count Orlok was climbing through that window.
1: I just think it's really like in this, like in this entire film, like the reality of this film, that how constantly dangerous this neighborhood is. How the gang is constantly, you know, patrolling around that building, you know, harassing these people all the time, and yet, you know, Cursey and Rodriguez still will go just for a stroll out on the sidewalk at you know noon, apparently. And, and, you know, it's just weird. That, like that—that's the strange dichotomy of this film is how regular life just seems to be going on. Uh, even though there's this just this constant war going on around this building.
0: Yeah, it's it's very strange. Well, they, at least they have a local cinema that's playing Beverly Hills Beverly Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. yeah. And I froze it the other night. I'm blanking on it. But there was another uh, film that was playing there that was a very weird uh, kung fu film at the time. Now, we get introduced to the real star of the movie here, right? Will D. <laughs> Like, I, like when I was a kid, uh, I always identified Wildy with the Death Wish films because he gets uh, he gets displayed prominently usually on the posters, doesn't he? Yeah. So, so is uh, the the giant forty four Magnum kind of elephant hunting pistol that Bronson uses, and I gotta say, like I know it's just a theatrical touch that uses such a comically large handgun, but I
1: actually like it. Well you want you know, you always want your hero to have a signature weapon or something, you know. It's uh, Commando has his rocket launcher and Kersey has Wilde.
0: And obviously this is uh, you know, early days in uh, Marina Surgis's uh, career here and uh yeah, I mean it was just immediately like in these films, like the, the clothes of women were just torn off like tissue paper. Mm hmm. I mean, to the, like, I, I thought that actually took some gumption, though, that that elderly couple tried to intervene for even just a split second, but, you know, nothing. I mean, this is sexual assault literally taking place right outside, of, like, they abduct her and take her away here, but literally this whole thing started in the uh, parking lot of a supermarket, so there is uh, no safe space, as we say, in this neighborhood
1: i gotta tell you God, i watched this film yesterday to prepare and then last night i watched uh the season premiere of last drive-in so i watched mother's day oh wow and now I'm, and now i'm watching this film again uh this is a particularly sleazy uh 48 hour span for me i don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I... <laughs>
0: you're gonna have to take some How extra showers it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so d- d- do you think this was just a uh a routine crime here against this woman or do you think this was a uh... More of a message to um, to Bronson. That's
1: what I mean, that's what the, you know, you alluded to it earlier, but it's it's never really clear. Is like, is this is this where everything was already heading, or is this all escalation at this point because of Kersey getting involved? That's that's definitely what it feels like to me. I feel like there's we're seeing an escalation now because, you know, when Kersey arrives, yes, they have just beaten up his friend, but we're kind of led to believe that this has been going on for a while without the stakes being quite this high. Right. And now from this point on, it's just it's just awful for all of these people.
0: Although I will say Michael Winters showed uh, some mercy there that the uh, the scene against the woman was very brief compared to Death Wish Part 2, or even Death Wish Part 1, in all honesty.
1: Well, I do hate to think, and it, I mean, there's definitely a, a chance of this, but I, I hate to think that this that was just another box that they had to tick where someone yeah. was like, okay, it's a Death Wish film, there needs to be a rape you know and so it's just kind of thrown in because they felt like that's just part of the franchise
0: yeah and like i got to say like like when we watch part 2 like what happens with the maid is, is so terrible so awful um but then like what happens to his daughter is just so much more over the top it's like it's like it's like what well, it was like well we already had the thing the you know the terrible thing happened and it's like yeah and like with this it, like you said like it wasn't even like winter really committed to it because it was you know so brief or whatever but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just like, I mean, where there distributors, you know, that were always like, oh, you gotta have this in here? Oh, you gotta, you know, cause it even happens in class in 1984, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was like a box of tick. Um, I just, when I watch the scenes, in all honesty, I just feel so bad for the, uh, cause I know it's obviously not all real and stuff like that, but like, I just feel bad for the actresses who <laughs> have to do those scenes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it just seems so horrible and, uh, I guess it's different if you're doing it in like the course of like a really uh prestige
1: n- film or something. Yeah, like
0: a like like obviously, you know, like I feel less bad for somebody like Jodie Foster who did it in The like Accused where the whole movie is, you know, something happens in the first 10 minutes. It's brutal and then the whole rest of the movie is the emotional aftermath and kind of raise questions about that you know what happened in stories like this it's like you do a horrible rape scene it's just forgotten the next scene you know I mean?
1: like, yeah 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 and it's one of those things you know it's one of those things you i'm sure you like me find yourself wrestling with more now because it was just such a staple of exploitation cinema throughout the 70s and 80s yeah. the the ones that we grew up on and saw on cable all the time and rented the video store and i just used to not think that much about it i mean not yeah. that, you know obviously you know we know it's, it's it's awful but it was it was just so accepted in film and i have now i'm, I'm at that point now where like many of just you know when it comes out when you see it in a new film you're just like really still we're doing yeah. this you know and yeah and and i think, that, I think you I, like you just said i think it, i think it's only justified if you're making a film that is really going to heavily tackle the true like emotional kind of fallout of that and that's not what most of these do an example like i said i mean
0: as over the top as part two is okay. The rest of the movie is serious. This is literally the next scene after this one, which we should say she also, she, she got She, they broke her arm and led to a blood clot killing her. The next scene after that, you know, terrible rape final. Oh my gosh, the lady died. And then Bronson, he's like cavalier with (laughs) this playing with his giant gun. He's flipping ice creams to the, the, the kid who idolizes him in the neighborhood. And he's just like strolling around with his Nikon camera, you know, obviously mm-hmm. setting up bait for the giggler here. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's an odd tone, you
1: know what I mean? What I always find amusing about this scene is that so this is a trap for the. Like you said, he. he purposely you know flicks this uh, nikon nikon camera over his uh, shoulder so that the giggler will take it so that he can be justified to shoot him mm-hmm. but if you're at the point where someone stealing your camera is enough justification for murdering someone in cold blood on the street i feel like he probably didn't need to do the camera thing at all <laughs> right. at this point he knows this gang is bad what's stopping him from just walking up to him and shooting him
0: yeah, and and that's kind of more the vibe of the the first film. It's it's like you know where this one. It's it's kind of all like a big game. And what's what's ironic is that immediately after he, um, you know, he he kills the giggler there, and which we should say also too that um, I, I think there's a, some dialogue earlier that like the Giggler's more than just a perch snatcher. I think he killed somebody's uh, daughter or girlfriend or something earlier uh, in the story, but. Um, I feel like to immediately, like, kind of cleanse Bronson of any kind of, like, you know, like, us questioning, like, oh, did Bronson really need to do that to the Giggler or whatever, we immediately have the citizens, like, praising, like, they're so happy that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that the Giggler's dead type thing. Good old good old Ed Lauder here showing up. Let's talk
1: about Ed Lauder. What do you what do you, what do you think of Ed Lauder? Let me ask you a question i 'cause I'm I'm wondering if, what it is for you. When you think of Ed Lauder, what's what comes to your mind right away? Is it this or is it something else?
0: You know, I don't I, until real recently, um, I didn't have a real signature role with Ed Lauder in my mind. Other than I always remember him dressed like this, always playing cops in films is what it seems like.
1: It's weird because, like, you realize that your connection to certain actors, especially these kind of actors, these character actors, who would just be in, like, everything. Like, if you look up Ed Lauder, he's just in so much stuff. Yeah. And you realize that what really gets locked in your head is just whatever movie you watch the most, no matter how small mm-hmm. their role might be. And so when I see Ed Lauder, I always immediately think of him as the police captain in True Romance, even though yeah. I think he might only have, like, two scenes in that. Um, but yeah, I think of that and then also oddly enough, I mean this might just be because I did this, I watched them recently for an, uh, another podcast, but uh he's also a a major character in Starship Troopers too. Oh, wow.
0: And I'm guessing that was uh, your preparation for your big appearance on if it bleeds we can kill it, right? Oh, I'm sorry, not believe. I'm sorry, Kaiju Transmissions.
1: Kaiju, Kaiju Transmissions. We did a, we did a yeah. whole, uh, watched the entire Starship Troopers franchise. Yeah.
0: I got my bird uh, podcast universe mixed up in my head right now. Yeah,
1: that's okay. That was my podcast universe too. So. It was. It was.
0: But uh, yeah, like, uh, I think now for me, and this is just more recently, obviously, uh, about a year ago bought the Blu-ray of this movie. I always enjoyed this movie watched it again. We did actually did an episode about it. But uh, from now on, like I think Ed Lauder, in my mind sticks out. He's, he's he's the hockey coach in the film Youngblood with Patrick Swayze and Rob Lowe. And right. it's actually like a real role. Like he's a main important character. He has multiple scenes. He's important. Whereas like, like you said, like every other role, I mean, he's very sparingly used in this film as well. Um, yeah. Every other role, like I always thought of him as just kind of a hinky kind of supporting chewing yeah. the fat type character actor but like yeah he's he's actually decent if you give him a good role i enjoyed his performance quite a bit in young blood
1: it's the football coach and not another teen movie so.
0: wow perfect perfect yeah because because it's it's kind of funny because also another football movie was all the right moves with that craig t nelson and like i feel like you we're missing that great lost movie where craig t and uh ed lauder played brothers at some point One's a cop, one's a football coach. (laughs) I could actually, besides this diversion subplot, now this is all very... When you say uh, Bronson's romance with this lady, the lawyer, is very much a um, uh, kind of obligatory thing. not, Not only just for romantic interest, but also to... I feel like she, her character and the, her scenes with him kind of functions as trying to pull some humanity out of Bronson. Like, you know, could he have a future? Could he have a romance? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, like maybe that's what they're going for, but it's just strange because, we said, it feels tacked on, and then even, like, her ultimate fate, his reaction to it is not any more extreme than what he's already been doing throughout the rest of the film, you know? So it's not like it pulls his character down to an even, like, deeper lower spot that's what's that's what's odd about it so i don't know it just seems like a, a time killer a little bit but hey if we got to get a, a bronson you know sex scene in the film i suppose i felt you know, like this guy was pulling the ladies too you know
0: oh yeah obviously boy was always said i feel like this guy that had the purple headband on was snorting the coke he looks so familiar to me i can't i can't think of uh maybe he was one of the marines and aliens now that I think about it but um But, yeah, that guy looks so familiar to me, too. But, uh, yeah, like, there's just... I think this movie, and again, if I were being critical, and I'm not because I'm not a critic, uh, one of the weaknesses is there's just constantly this back-and-forth game of, like, somebody looks out a window and Fraker is there.
1: (laughs) Well, that's... I mean, yeah, I was going to say it, too. Like, the, the idea that every time Bronson looks out the window, Fraker's looking back at him. Throughout this entire film, every member of this gang knows where... Percy is living. Uh, it seems like to me, I look, look, not, I've, I've never been in a gang. I don't know how things work. I feel like it would have been very easy to murder this guy at yeah. some point over the course of this week or so, how long this movie takes place. Uh, so, well yeah.
0: I, also, too, I think there's a little bit of a mist whatever, because this was an ambush. was Fraker runs like a little boy into an alleyway and Percy dumbly follows him. And then there's an ambush with, you know, he's, uh, Fraker's got a machine pistol. He's shooting at Percy and whatnot. But uh, yeah, like like I feel like the I feel like the a little bit of missed opportunity instead of this weird looking through windows and gang back and forth, I wish they kind of would have set up, Cursey's path as like a little more like the original Death Wish where he kind of was like more just constantly on the prowl, in this neighborhood constantly picking the gang members off one by one instead of this weird, dynamic. Because I gotta say a lot of the the interpersonal relationships and friends and whatever that Cursey makes and like. He pretty much only makes all these friends and whatnot um, just to have them sacrifice to the gang.
1: Yeah, it's almost like Fraker or the entire gang and Kursi are kind of involved in this, like, they have, like, rules of war almost, right? They're, yeah. like, they're, they're following this, like, kind of strategic game where they're saying, we won't just come into the apartment and murder you while you sleep, even though we probably could do that every night. For some reason, it we only engage each other at certain specific times, and that's gives the film a very strange feeling. But ultimately, again, you know, all these things that we're talking about are as like complaints and silly things are what make the movie funny too. So
0: yeah, that's what I was getting at. Where I'm not a critic. It's like it's like, but if you're having a couple beers, this is the stuff that actually makes the movie good. Yeah. No, I, I was curious because we, we you know talk about Bronson being the old tough guy and whatever, and, and he's kind of like before his time, I'd say in that regard and a lot of that just had to do with you know canon was short on star power so charles bronson was a huge star to them you know he's a reliable box office uh name uh do do, do you feel at all watching this film that uh bronson was maybe a little too old to be playing this role still
1: uh yeah but I mean, at the same time, again, that's kind of like what I love about the Death Wish films, and in particular the the sequels. Because I said I, I I think the first Death Wish is just a legit great movie, and then two through five, I mean, Jesus, especially five, it's uh, it's just it becomes su- super silly, and that's part of it. But to, to that end, look he, look at him right here. I mean, he's still pretty active. Like he's, yeah. I'm not, you know, for for his age, you know, he still seems tough. Um, I think for what Kirsty becomes, Bronson is too old. I yeah. think there's a version of these films, you know, I think in recent years, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of those uh, uh, Liam Neeson action films, yeah. but I think they've they've done a good job of kind of playing his age realistically in that genre. And so I, I, I'm not saying that once you become a certain age, you can't be an action hero anymore. I just think what they do with the Death, with Death Wish films, there's a little bit of a, a disconnect but again, that's what's that's what's fun.
0: Yeah, I, I gotta say, like he pretty much pulls it off. The only kind of couple scenes, like we said, where where he physically manhandles the much younger, much yeah,
1: it's more that, muscular.
0: And, it's, you and know. like I said, it's
1: those scenes where they seem like instantly afraid of him too. Yeah. But, or the scenes where women see him and are instantly just taken with him well, that's a good effect kind of yeah like he, th- he throws that guy he throws
0: a the the dummy off and i guess you could kind of say like all the they, they established the guy was very high on cocaine or whatever you know probably couldn't fight too good so bronson just kind of like hits him with a pipe and throws him out the building and it, it's kind of like a comical dummy when it's falling because the arms are f- like kind of flailing but when it hits the car it looks very good it lands in a very yeah, odd I just, way i was actually looks gonna real. ask
1: that do you think that dummy was designed to like crumble once it hit like did it have have like springs to snap back in it because that's the thing it's like most movies would just have the dummy fall but they said that one actually we see the connection and yeah it actually crumbles into like a fetal position
0: yeah i I think probably the arms and legs were probably weighted down and that like when it hit it kind of like made it you know Go into him, you know, so it wouldn't just land flat like a like a lightweight dummy. But yeah, like well, in, in Bronson. I mean, a lot of this shit, I think Bronson is doing better than probably you know even somebody our age would do right now. But like he's got this tight shirt on, you can tell how ripped he is for his age. But like, yeah, he he was very spry. On you know, also I'm kind of so in all honesty, I'm kind of surprised how good he runs. I mean, shows he probably had a real good, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know cardiovascular type of fitness and routine at this point in his life. Um, yeah, it's just... The only thing I don't believe is that he hits as hard as he does with punches. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they could have just easily kind of, like, faked it up where he was constantly maybe using brass knuckles or maybe he... You know, just have him... Because cause when you're fighting against a murderous, rape-hungry rape gang, like, you don't really need to, like, play fair. You know I, mean? <laughs> I felt... Now- this was a harrowing scene very much right here. And and, and again this is we we th- like like when you're at this point in the film, Trev, like, like what I thought, you know, seeing this film for the first time a few years ago and then seeing it again. Um, cuz I would always see this film on like TV, like TV TV on a Sunday afternoon, and I think they like kind of edit all these scenes out cuz I just really mm-hmm. remember Bronson running around the machine gun in. But, like, yeah, this is, like, too far. It's just too harrowing that that they're just slitting old ladies' throats now at this point, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Now, were you aware of the piece of trivia that um, Bronson almost did not come back for this one, and they were ready to – or they did offer it to um, Chuck Norris instead, and Chuck Norris turned it down because he said the violence was just too distasteful for him? <laughs> I've I've never heard that. No. that. That does make me wonder – like, first of all, there's two things I wonder there. Was that just, were, were they serious about that? Or was that just the typical Hollywood negotiation to, to basically force Bronson to come back, you know? Yeah. But also, if they were going to go forward with it as Chuck Norris, would it, would they have recast this part? Or would this have been to Death Wish 3 with a new main character? Yeah. Yeah,
0: I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't, it's really weird if you look at canon the way they handle franchises, Trev. They never really thought long-term. It was always about, like, quick, quick. You know, and, and these films, or at least, you know, Canon wasn't involved in the first Death Wish film. I think it was, like, a situation where the rights became available over time. But, you know, they were from part two onwards. And, uh, yeah, like, it's weird because... Cause let, let, let's say there's some version of alternate history where Bronson didn't come back for part three. He still would have made a bunch of Canon movies. So why not at least you know what i mean like and I, i've actually caught some of those canon films recently for the first time in last year or so like assassination and whatnot and it's like maybe that's why this film is so silly and all honestly like he was being more cavalier and comedic somewhat in his other canon films and like canon was just like oh make death wish 3 more like these other films you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that was kind of his shtick i mean but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird because, like, you're going to pay somebody to come be in this. Why not just pay Bronson? Like, even if he was asking for double, whatever, because, like, at least part two and three, I think part four, if I'm remembering right, uh, I think part four was finally the point where the box office started to dip. But we should say, too, these were basically four or five million dollar films that grossed about 16 million domestically. Yeah, this movie
1: was number one at the box office two weekends in a row when it came out.
0: Oh my god! Could you imagine that, Trev? The zeitgeist uh, of—and obviously it's a different time—but the zeitgeist of the movie going public being (laughs) Death Wish three at any given time. (laughs) But I I guess what people expected and wanted out of films at that time was much different. The expectations were much different, you know. So here we have the lady, uh, the the his love interest is going to move out of the city, and like. I thought it was kind of funny that he kind of really doesn't really care. This is kind of typical Bronson that you see in a lot of movies. You know what I mean? He's 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 not the type to really chase a woman around. It's like, while they're, while they're there, he'll bed them. But when they're gone, they're gone. You know what I mean?
1: Maybe he knows. Maybe he just knows like, okay, yes, I'll sleep with you. But just so you know, this is targeting you for death.
0: Yeah. Which I didn't think he should really have a, a love interest in Part 2, but obviously they had to work one in because he was working with Jill Ireland in Part 2, which is his wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that's why this one is... I mean, all the, the Bronson love scenes were pretty tame, but this one is like kiss, cut to later, the ladies in bed, like, you know, fully blanketed it up, Bronson putting his shirt back on. Do you think because he wasn't working with his wife here, that's why this had to be so chaste?
1: Perhaps. Um the reason I don't mind the love interest in part two is that, you know, again, that movie's a little cheesy as well, not as cheesy as this one. But the thing, the thing I like about what they do with her in the second one is, is the idea that she does leave him because of, you know, who he is. And yeah. I like that it's at least bringing in this idea of, see, if you're gonna, if he's gonna decide to become this Avenger for the rest of his life now, he can't have a normal life anymore. So you do see that at least plays into like the repercussions a little bit. I mean, I guess here you get that every woman he's with will just end up murdered but at least they did something a little different in the second one.
0: You know, it's, it's kind of funny how we're talking about this weird transition, that parts two and three took, but there's a lot of, I believe you can find them on YouTube because I know I've seen them. Uh, and I heard other people talking about, there's like interviews where journalists, you know, television interviews, journalists take Michael Winter to task for, for, for kind of like the level of violence. I, I guess apparently death wish was kind of shocking at its time. You know what I mean? And, um, he kind of, you know, during during interviews or whatever, he kind of really publicly defended it, you know, because of the themes and the drama and the motion and the power of the story. So it's really ironic that a guy who had to really publicly defend Death Wish would go on to make these exploitative sequels, you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, so you mentioned earlier that you wondered if, like, Bronson and him were just kind of, like, you know, looking at this as a paycheck and we were phoning it in. And I think it's probably more that... I look at Winner as someone who just saw what the genre had become and knew what he was being hired to make Mm -hmm. and was willing to, you know, even though, you know, if he had been asked to make another film like Death Wish, I think he still could have. But I think he knew that at this point, you know, the 80s was the time of just really exploitation driven over the top action films. And I think he saw an opportunity to play in that realm in in the franchise that he was being allowed to work in, because that's what he was getting hired to do was Death Wish films, you know. Yeah, so
0: here, Bronson's girlfriend gets knocked out, put into the front seat of a car, that gets pushed down a hill, that didn't crash it, which like, I, I felt like they could, they should have left that character alive, just had her in the hospital, hurt, or whatever. And, it's a uh,
1: life lesson, never date a woman who's apparently made of nitroglycerin.
0: Uh-huh. And I swear, yeah, exactly, I swear Bronson walks away like he's not really that perturbed by that's, this. Yeah,
1: so I mean, like, it's, it's the effect of this on him is doesn't seem like it changes the film at all he was already Mm -hmm. planning to take this whole gang out so yeah
0: yeah Yeah, like like when i watched this you know like i just remember this hitting me as being like okay this film's gone too far now which (laughs) which the don't get me wrong i love the ending i love the uh, action finale but like maybe winner felt like he need to go this ridiculously over the top to justify that ending
1: that's what i sometimes wonder too like i was thinking that yesterday watching it is is that were they aware of like how ridiculous this was like that's th- that's the hard thing to parse with the death wish sequels to where we look at them now and as you said these are perfect movies to drink beers and, hit and watch with their friends because they're so ridiculous but i wonder were they even trying to achieve a level of satire with how are the top i don't know it's it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to say
0: so one thing i want to ask you trev is um you know, I think these films, uh, and again, the you know, the shit starts. They blow up uh, Martin Balsam's taxi repair meter repair shop. But anyway, um, what do you think? And obviously this film wasn't trying to, like, really... You know, I think the first Death Wish film definitely was, but this film wasn't really asking the questions. What do you think of, you know, the way they set it up, we obviously don't have any sort of um, sympathy for these gang members. It's not like a thing of, like, you know... Oh, like, they were bad, but they weren't that bad. Like, no, pretty much everybody on the gang side gets what's coming to them, and you feel very justified in it. But what do you you feel about Paul Kersey? Like, do you feel like, you know, killing so many people over the years? Like, do you think, like, at some point it's almost, like, weirdly not worth it? Because it's, like, at some point when you basically live to kill, like, scumbags are not you kind of forsaking your own soul in, in in the same way you know what I mean
1: oh for sure as i said that's that's the that's the real story you want to see in like a a vigilante series that is willing to really chart the emotional and and sociological ramifications of this that's now the Deathwish films are about, but this is like I mean the Deathwish films it's the same thing as like the Punisher right, which is a character mm-hmm. I love but you know in recent years there's been a lot of talk about how can marvel still keep published you know publishing the punisher in the same way and without investigating this a little bit more our relationship to vigilante stories is different nowadays than it was in the 80s and he said like you can look at Kirsty as like a hero but honest, obviously he's not really right like like he's a violent criminal himself uh and yeah i think especially from the second one on his life is not a happy life (laughs) that's for sure
0: and i mean we definitely talked about this you know in earlier things talking about how political films should get and and whatnot but like one thing that i find very interesting is you know this type of film you know especially by the time we get to death wish 3 like death wish 3 is very much trying to be like you said an exploitation popcorn film Mm -hmm. so i the thing that i find kind of interesting is like there's really no gray room i don't feel like with death wish 3 compared to like one or even kind of part two but especially with three there's no real thought required of the viewer to make their own moral judgment of it like it's kind of presenting the morality for you here you know what i mean it's like like there's there's no gray area like there's not one single scene where you're kind of like you know like like there's no scene where like kersey's going after somebody and he accidentally shoots a kid or maybe somebody innocent gets hurt. Yeah the course I mean of actions, by the,
1: you know? uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've gone all the way to the end but I mean by the time you get to Death Wish 5 and he's just become like a, a one-liner machine taking out the mafia you know they're they're not they're not asking questions anymore about vigilantism. He's, yeah. he, you know, he's just meant to be like a fun hero that we're rooting for. Yeah. And I got
0: to say, like I said, I even partially went back and watched some of part two uh, uh, to kind of like judge his character. He's so i don't know when i watch this i'm like why is he so slap happy in this one like he's so light hearted like the most terriblest fucking things are going on and like you know honestly half of them are his fault like i mean i understand a, a a criminal does a crime they do an assault they do a rape they do a murder it's the fault of the criminal because they chose to do that action but he's just involving these people so carelessly like he he had to know you know what i mean like what would happen yeah. to all these people
1: well, that's like the, you know, some of the better Punisher stories over the years have gotten into that where characters will question him and say, This is no longer about your family, is it? Like, you enjoy this now, right? right? So, you could say that this film, if there is a level of intelligence to it, maybe that's what it's getting at. That now this is Cursey's life, and maybe he's, maybe he's like loving the fact that this is escalating, and getting worse because this is all he does now.
0: Which, did you find this ironic right here that, Kersey goes to the post office to pick up his latest batch of guns. He gets in a taxi. They drive down the street where his girlfriend just died the night before. <laughs> there's like <laughs> there's no and there's no beat where like he's staying there looking at the street or anything. Like it's just it is what it is, you know what I mean?
1: I think that's why too that after they after the gang like uh took out Martin Balsam, they never went back into this apartment and found this other machine gun.
0: Right, right. That was a weird scene too because he can't Martin Balsam wants to use the big machine gun and, and he can't like whatever get it to work. So they're like, let's get the motherfucker and they beat him up and they throw him off a probably like a one story fire escape. And he ends up surviving. I got to say, Trev, why did Martin Balsam survive that in this grim reaper of a film?
1: <laughs> Seems like he'll survive it only so that he could tell Kersey, hey, by the way, there's another machine gun in the cabinet. Right. And by the way, like you imagine like the, so the gang must have taken the, the one he had that wasn't working. Right. And I thought for sure at the end that they would have their own machine gun as well. Right. right. That they would that, that they would get that working and you'd see this kind of like, you know, machine gun versus machine gun battle. But uh, but nope, I guess, you know, a broke machine gun is a broke machine gun.
0: Yeah, not at all. And I got to say too like this is one thing I didn't really like agree with or like about the story is uh the the guy who is I'm blanking on the what his character's name is, but the guy who is basically Marina surges's oh, husband Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yeah. He he kind of becomes like a sidekick to Bronson. So Bronson's got Wildy 44 Magnum. He's got a he got a smaller pistol. I think it's a 38 snub nose or something like that. Now he's got a rocket launcher and he's got this giant machine gun. All this for Bronson. Rodriguez shows up with a pop gun, which is basically just a pipe that's been kind of modified to be able to... You can put, like, shotgun shells in it, twist it, and it will shoot a shotgun shell. Probably not very accurately either. So, like, they're going in this big firefight battle, and he doesn't even give Rodriguez a real gun. Like, I had a problem with that.
1: I'm not even sure, because he puts on the bulletproof vest, and he says we should get a few of them. But I don't know if that they ever do. I don't know if they actually, like, you know, outfits anyone else with... Yeah, I love this idea too. So a moment ago, we we saw Fraker calling someone and and asking to borrow some guys. So this idea of like this gang is part of a apparently a bigger interconnected web of gangs all over New York that will like loan out soldiers to each other. Yeah, we see them arriving and just instantly being a a nuisance as we see here, and just like again, just terrorizing people on the street and uh, and get. I've said this multiple times, but just what I can only describe as a cartoonish hellscape version of New York, where you just you're not even safe. Just like getting just walking a single block down to get some groceries.
0: Like, I'm not kidding. Like, th- like these gang members flying around on dirt bikes and harassing old people with their groceries. It almost seems like something you see in a TMNT Ninja Turtles cartoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like
1: every time I watch this film, and I want to ask you if this is the same for you, go that I'm always just shocked at like how unelegantly this film suddenly jumps into this action finale. You're right. Like there's no, like there's no real natural build to this. It's just suddenly we get to the point where, Kirstie pulls out the machine gun, some more gang members show up and, and suddenly it's on. Like we're just, we're just now in like the final battle. Uh, right. and it's like, it's just, it's, again, it's a, it's a very lazy script. I mean,
0: yeah, like it, it's, it, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, yeah, it just starts out of nowhere. And it's like, and, and I kind of like how broad it is. Like these scenes where he's literally just running down random, um, alleyways and, It's just pure coincidence that when he does that, the gang starts running down the alleyway towards him. And Mm -hmm. he can just gun everybody out. Like, you know, everybody makes a big deal out of how over-the-top the the action finale of Commando is, Trev. I think this actually gives Commando, in a way, either run it for its money or kind of outdoes it. Because this is even more outlandish than Commando was.
1: Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you burn your hand holding the machine gun that way, too? Like, he's...
0: I thought that too because because we should say that's meant to be a um, a mounted machine gun. Mm-hmm. It was never meant to be handheld. Yeah, and like he's he's holding the barrel. Those get very hot very quickly. And I get that he's kind of grasping the very like bottom of it. You know, like obviously that's where the
1: that's like closer to where the firing is happening.
0: Yeah, it's just, I, but either way, the whole thing would be too hot to ever touch your hand. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's very weird. I think I don't even, even though they were just firing blanks, obviously, I don't even get how they did that without, you know, because, cause, I mean, there's a famous story about uh, Al, Mach- uh, Al Pacino uh, burning his hand very, very terrible and grabbing the barrel of the gun uh, in Scarface. So, I mean, I can't imagine I mean, clearly Bronson did it because we saw him do it. I mean, there's—I mm-hmm. don't think there's any. Can you think of Trevor? I don't think there's any point where we see Bronson where it's—it's an obvious stunt double. You know what I mean?
1: No. The, the the most obvious stunt double is is Martin Balsam getting thrown off the uh, the fire escape. Yeah. Like that's not great looking. But uh, but Bronson like I mean, like, there's not too much at, that's asked of him that is that I guess would require a stunt double. You know? Yeah. From this point on, it's really a lot of him standing there, as you said, firing at people that are running at him
0: yeah i like like i i I feel like this was the inspiration for the ending of expendables part two when you say (laughs) for everybody just firing standing firing (laughs) and that suffices for a full-blown actions i kind of did like this scene though like the cops just like in a helicopter flying by and be like damn it's a war zone
1: yeah i mean i the, the end of this film is is super super fun i mean it's yeah. like, you know it's definitely very this is what i always remember about this film as a kid i thought this whole last like 15 or so minutes was just the coolest thing i'd ever seen when this would come on cable
0: oh so i mean I, and i realize we probably could have sat here during this commentary and just made fun of everything but it's like i actually find more fun trying to like find the logic in it and take it seriously in all honesty
1: yeah, I mean it's a very easy film to be made fun of, but I'll tell you, like when so I, you know, I re, when I rewatched this yesterday and reviewed reviewed it on Letterboxd, I gave this four out of five, and that's not a four out of five for like real quality, that's a four out of five for just pure enjoyment. I mean, this is like I said, this if you're into like what Canon is doing, this is like the top of the top of the line for them.
0: I love how Bronson just ran across a uh, mattress filled with newspapers. I guess they they wanted to make it easier on his joints and but- ankles, whatever. I thought this was kind of a funny scene, too, because, like, for people who think the Stormtroopers can't hit anything in Star Wars, you haven't seen anything until this gang shoots a Bronson.
1: Yeah, this is like... Remember that episode of um, Police Squad? I think they actually they redid this joke in Naked Gun Two and a Half, where where, uh, you know, you cut to Drebin firing at someone, then you cut back to that person firing, and then the mm-hmm. camera pulls back for the wide, and they're only like a few inches apart. <laughs> There's a lot of that like played for real here.
0: Yeah, no. Like, the only thing... I, it kind of reminded me when I watched this the other night is my dad told me a story. He was walking down a street one time, and there was uh, these two guys... He didn't know what was going on at the time, but there was these two guys and the one was like yelling for the other guy to stop and then they 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 both exchanged fire with little pistols and uh my dad said they're like roughly about f- probably like 15 feet and they both empty their pistols like away from each other they both empty their pistols and they didn't hit each other at all and then the guy grabbed the guy and it turned out the one guy was a plain policeman or whatever and some other police came and whatever and, like, that was the only thing that was, like, I guess you could somewhat justify, you know, there are there, there's actually a lot of cases like that where it's, like, I guess the heat of the moment, people panicking and just exchanging fire and nothing really happening. Nobody really getting hit, you know, just bullets flying.
1: Does that make you feel better about the, the moment that always really bothers me? Maybe the most egregious um, missing a shot moment in cinema history, the end of uh, the 89 Batman when Batman has, like, uh, is in the Batwing and he's just like locked onto the Joker yeah. and fires everything at him and completely misses every single shot.
0: <laughs> well, the thing I found like weird about that scene and I, like, I don't know how much is realism, how much is there, but it's like the machine guns are clearly mounted on the side of the Batwing, And it looks mm-hmm. like the way he's flying, like it's just, there's no way he could, could hit Jack Nicholson. Cause like the bullets, well, the thing, would but, just... he,
1: but even, but there he has like a targeting screen. That, <laughs> yeah, like, <right>. you know...
0: <laughs> okay. We need to talk about this scene with the, this, this woman uh, getting yeah. disrobed here I, again. And I got to say, she does a great job. I mean, Marina Certes did a great job in her scene, too, acting, you know, horrible, terrified. But, like, yeah, like like this lady, I mean.
1: This was Michael Winner's girlfriend at the time. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what I read.
0: Wow. Like, that kind of would explain a lot. But, like, yeah, the, like, like, I mean, and she's the thing that's ironic about it is, like, what real actress could you get to do that? But at the same time, like the lady was doing great. Like she was crying. Mm-hmm. She was looked terrified, horrified. Like, like it. So much goes out to, um, especially in the day and age we live in now, where like just movies are, I don't know what you would call them, like less emotional or less committal or whatever. Everything's more about technology. It's like these people. Like sometimes you watch these old movies, and there's some people who do like the tiniest roles. It's like, it's like man, they they give their all into it, man. It's amazing. I thought that was funny too, that balsam, like I didn't realize his 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 hospital where he was recuperating was like just at the end of the street. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why he survived because they got him to the hospital so quick. Now this is a little bit maybe like that other film you're talking about, Tenement, where it's like now all of a sudden we see the uh the the citizens getting in on the act
1: yeah that is the, the the missed opportunity of this film is that i wish there was more of this and i wish the build up to this was like a little bit more like well developed cuz this yeah. is like what it seems like the movie was trying to get at the idea that you know, Kersey basically rallies this entire community to rise up against this. And you kind of want it at the end. And we're getting a little bit more of it here. But I wish I certainly wish there was more of a through line throughout the film and that they were more equally involved throughout this entire like climax.
0: Yeah, because it's like weird because when we saw the citizens take out the bikers, they put a chain across the road, knock down the bikers, they shot them. But that could have just been two guys driving down the road with bikes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, more over the top, uh, a supposedly elderly couple, but stump people, flame, yeah. they got Molotov cocktailed here. Again, it's like, the gang members, like, like, that was even fraker, taking out the old people, shooting them for no reason. Like, the gang should be um, focusing on trying to get curzy at this point, not just kill as many innocent citizens.
1: Well, that's what, like what is go- that is the question? What's actually ha- what's happening in this climax? Is this still just about getting <laughs> what, Curzy or
0: <laughs> yeah. what is happening in this climax? Because like you said, if, if the citizens were involved a little bit more, we we could at least I love this too. The guy gets the knife in the head with the board and then he falls off the thing. But it's like yeah, like if the citizens build up was a little bit more okay, we could see okay now the gang realizes like shit, we got to fight you know all these people too, not just Kersey. But it's like nah, it's just. It's, it's like violence for
1: violence sake. Because really like like how we got into this was like the gang was coming up to the, the apartment building ostensibly to just get Kersey finally, right? Mm-hmm. You said him and Rodriguez came out of the fire escape with that machine gun and started blasting them away. And then the gang's reaction was just like, okay, now it's all at war. We're just taking out this entire three block area. Uh, I, I guess I'll roll with it because it's awesome. But I don't know. No one's strategy seems to make much sense here. Again,
0: Rodriguez, man, just ducking bullets from these... uh These guys even have rifles and they can't hit them. But uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, Trev, which I think would have been, like, you know, not trying to soften the film up necessarily, but just to kind of have the series evolve, is, you know, like, uh, we had Marina she, she she got done in by the gang, and Kersey, you know, when w- that second woman here just during the whole fracas uh, that was uh, getting her clothes torn off, he finally saved somebody of sexual assault. Like, I would have liked if, like, maybe this movie would have gone more in that direction where he was actually, like, if you're going to go in more of an over-top fantastical direction, I would have liked if this movie would have been more about he was actually, like, in circumstances where he could actually kind of stop the shit from happening, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, if especially as you're going into like a franchise version of it, you really could have turned him into this kind of like wandering. I mean, I guess I suppose that's what they're doing a little bit. But you said like this wandering character is going from town to town, inserting himself into situations that he sees are bad and trying to prevent them from happening.
0: I'll let you make the call here, Trev. Alex Winter. Does he die or not? He gets shot by Ed Lauder. I mean, that's,
1: yeah, see, I just, I guess I wasn't even paying attention to that yesterday. I guess that's a death, but, I mean, who knows, you know.
0: But again, it's... did you see what I was saying, how throwaway it really was?
1: <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah.
0: Considering he was probably, like, wouldn't you say the second most seen gang member?
1: I love this shot of uh, Ed Lauder and Bronson
0: just running down the street together. Yeah, I kind of wish more of the movie, especially more of the climax, was them together. Cause they're like them two guys with two pistols. They just shot ten guys. Some of them had like M sixteen style rifles. They just wasted them. I kind of like uh, Bronson Swagger here. That shot when he just was walking around holding the gun. But again, man, look at that background. It's war zone time, man.
1: It's funny to, um, you know, think of, like I said, like the differences of like how much a time period can change the way a film is viewed. And I was just thinking how, you know, with uh, Vincent Gardena's character in the first two and especially part two and then Ed Lauder in this one, there's probably some thought that, well, let's have Ed Lauder join at the end so that we're not saying like all cops are useless and all cops are bad. He can have a heroic moment at the end. And I was the, the heroic moment of the cop at the end of this is just blasting away citizens on the street. You know?
0: yeah, no questions asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here we have a lady shoot. Somebody comes in her house. I, I like, I like that one scene that just went by where there was like a gang member just hanging out in a tree, like a, like a, like a monkey. <laughs> just He just you know, climbed weird up. Too, like him.
1: this, like what, this home, right. With this big, like, this is not something this isn't an area we've seen before. It's almost right. like this is now spilling out into like nicer areas of New York.
0: Well, yeah. Just areas where the gang wasn't even previously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate this moment because this is the moment of the movie where Wildy dies, and by die I mean he runs out of bullets finally.
1: I would have been down for a version of this that actually went for like another thirty minutes and we saw how this eventually just envelops like all of New York, right? It just keeps going and getting like more and more ridiculous and moving through the entire city. <laughs>
0: the the two and a half hour version where it just keeps going
1: because like that scene too okay like we know there's a lot
0: of gang members even a female gang member and like there's like maybe a dozen gang members that are just beating the shit out of a car it's like we've moved past the point where the the citizens are fighting against you now like you need something a little more you know targeted than that mm-hmm. i thought this was interesting too because it seemed like bronson um where he's re- trying to reload the pistols here, the smaller pistol. He looks very awkward, right? Like, he's kind of doing it awkwardly. Like, I would have thought Paul Kersey would have known how to load a revolver, like, in two seconds by this point.
1: <laughs> he's winded. He's tired. Yeah.
0: Double, double, triple shootout. Ed Lauder, Bronson, Fraker. Everybody's shooting everybody. And, uh... Everybody gets saved in this movie by a bulletproof vest, except Ed Lauder pretty much <laughs> I mean he just takes it in the shoulder, but still and they don't
1: make bulletproof sleeves, you know
0: that is true now, what did you think about this moment where Fraker comes alive and who reveals? oh, I was wearing a bulletproof vest um did you believe that Bronson would have had like the whatever time to you know? Grab that rocket launcher, shoot him before Fraker could have just pulled the trigger once. And oh, well,
1: nothing's believable about this, but I mean, <laughs> come on, this is what we're here for. Um, what I think is even crazier is like, why? So we see the girlfriend there scream and the the gang just instantly accepts this is like, oh, it's over. But how did they know that that was Fraker blowing up? It was
0: literally like uh, was like powder <laughs> flying out of the side <laughs> of a building. It could have been anybody. Could have been a gas was. Like, yeah, and his corpse is just charred like Ant Baru. Like, it's not even like now. What about the moral message here? Fraker dies. This is like those alien movies where you kill the head alien or the head robot, and the soldiers all die.
1: Yep, was the MCU got this from uh Death Wish 3?
0: Yeah, I guess we should say, uh, uh I because unless I'm getting my whatever mixed up, I thought it came out the same year, really close to it. Is uh. That's also the same ending, Trev, of uh, Invasion USA, if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Norris shoots uh, Richard Lynch out of the side of a skyscraper, I think it is, with uh, a rocket launcher. That they, There's no way that's a coincidence, right? Like, Canon was just like, oh, the ending worked in one movie, use it in another.
1: Yeah, well I mean and it's great, right? It's it's going to be like an applause moment at any time. I can only imagine watching this movie in like a 42nd Street theater in oh, 85, yeah. you know.
0: I'm kind of more interested in like Friday night opening night packed house in the suburbs how how this would play. Would it, like I I could see it getting the cheers and the rowdiness even in
1: that kind of setting. Yeah, like well, I said, I mean the fact that it was number one for for two weeks. I mean, yeah, yeah. they said there was there was something in the air, uh, and as and at this at this time, just uh, vigilante movies in general were like a, were a very big deal. So, and yeah. I know, like you know, the crime and um, crime in America in the '80s was was really bad, and especially in certain parts of the country. So, I get it, you know. But
0: yeah, I think there definitely was a fear, and it's so weird how differently we we become. But there was a fear at that time that crime, like, I guess the ruthlessness, I think a lot of it, in all honesty, had to do with things like the uh, crack cocaine epidemic.
1: Yeah, and and it was a fear that was being stoked by Reagan and and his ilk, too,
0: you know. The media, uh, I'm sure, contributed with the whole kind of if it bleeds, it leads type, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. newscasting. But what do you think of that shot? I mean, clearly it's a movie shot, but Bronson is in a completely different set of clothes, just walking out of the war zone with suitcases. (laughs)
1: So like the same two. Did he ever even unpack? Like, was yeah. those are the same two secrets from the beginning? And um, I have yes.
0: I, like, like Ed, La- Ed Lauder's like, you got to get out of here, you know, before everybody comes I'll cover for you. And he
1: takes time to change his clothes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but uh, definitely a wild movie. I'm surprised it doesn't end with a little graphic that says like Paul Kersey will return in Death Wish four because clearly you know exactly. they 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 were already thinking about it. That's there's no doubt about that. Yeah, you know, Golden Globus. Maybe they didn't, though,
0: because uh, maybe, like you said, they're like, I don't know, Bronson. We might want to... Because remember when Kevin Feige was like, you know, Iron Man is an evergreen character. He can be recast over and over and over. And then it's like, meanwhile, it's like, oh, like, uh, Downey Jr.'s really done? Okay, it's time for this character to be done. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Well, I was reading that when um when Bronson... I can, I'm not sure if it was when Bronson passed away or... Uh... I don't know. Let me bring it back up. There was plans for a sixth Death Wish film called Death Wish Six, the new vigilante. Yeah. That was going to like bring in like a new character and it, and it just never happened. Um, I'm not, I it's it's kind of useless to ask. Do you think that would have worked? Because by that point, I mean, Death Wish Five had a budget of let's see, five million and made one million, so right. it was already a dead franchise. But
0: yeah, we we, we killed Death Wish Five. It kind of seems like to me, and now even to the point where it's it's a, it's not really as readily available as other films are our home video. Is like, there's no
1: Blu-ray? You have to get like a really cheap. Uh dvd of it yeah there's
0: like some weird like dutch blu-ray that's like 50 bucks but i don't want to take the chance on it but um but yeah it's like basically can unfold it and then i can't remember which one it was Golan or globus but one of them started a new company or maybe they both did they started a new company they made death wish 5 and it's like death wish was kind of long in the tooth anyway but their new company everything that they did kind of flopped just because it didn't have they didn't have the access to the resources, the market, the way they used to. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and like I said, it was it, there was a long kind of gap between, or like a longer gap between uh, four and five. so yeah. I think by the time you get to nineteen ninety four, as you said, just no one cared about this franchise anymore.
0: Yeah, because I want to say there was like a three year gap between two and three, and maybe only like a two year gap between three and four. It was mm-hmm. like very much like a money maker. But yeah, so I mean, I think definitely we'll have to, uh, especially since you got the same thing I have. We both have copies of four. We'll have to revisit four and reflect on even more of how the Paul Kersey character changed. Um, I kind of like, and all honestly, like I kind of would have liked to seen a movie where he was more in line with his the where his character was at in part two, kind of. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, it's like this movie's so much fun. How can you really knock it? You know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I mean this. This Death Wish three is my favorite Death Wish film, and again, that's not a statement of quality by any means. It's just, what's the one where <clears throat> pressed? You know, if ask me which one I want to grab off the shelf and throw in for a good time, it's yeah. almost always going to be part three because from beginning to end, it's just consistently entertaining.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's so entertaining that my Blu-ray, I just discovered, is designed to, once the loop. movie ends, just yeah. to loop and start right back over.
0: Mine, too. And since we had it synced up, we're let's just go ahead and do it again, Trevor. We've got to watch
1: it. <laughs> could, there's, probably, there's a lot of things we missed, so now we can finally cover it. For instance, actually, I will say, uh, I'm, this, this beginning, I wanted to mention this, but we were talking about the history of Death Wish. This beginning is kind of confusing because, mm-hmm. was, so he, he arrives, right? And then he calls his friend while his friend is being murdered. Right. But you know what it's like when you have to pick someone up at the airport, right? Why was his friend I, I assume he's calling him to tell him, "Hey, I'm in town." And his friend was just still sitting at his apartment like waiting yeah. for him, like to he see, didn't know what time
0: his... <laughs> the flight yeah. came or whatever.
1: Um, I did want to ask you though as we as we wrap up, go like uh, vigilante movies in general, like beyond the Death Wish films, do you have any other particular favorites? Or... Yeah, I, I do. It's it's one
0: of those movies I always, or one of those genres, I guess I should say, where like I always feel like I'm not a fan because they're all very similar, or whatever. But then every couple of years, there's one that kind of like, you know, comes along, and kind of whatever. One thing I will say is uh, a more recent one that I enjoyed a lot, which not a lot of people like gave a chance to, but I actually really in, in uh I don't know if you've seen it, but I really like the movie Peppermint with Jennifer Garner. Did you see that one, Trev?
1: I did not see it. I heard, you know, a lot of mixed things as you would expect because, uh, and then I, I, I think it's on Netflix now. But uh... Yeah,
0: I, I would urge people, especially with the available and streaming, like I would urge people to give it a look and like the thing I think is interesting about that is basically it's a, a story of a, a woman and this is all happens very early so I don't feel like I'm really spoiling anything but it's, Her her husband, uh, he he kind of gets mixed up with somebody to do an errand for the uh, drug cartel. He he ends up actually backing out, and like you know, they they pretty much kill him, and then like a drive by shooting type situation, kill him and his uh, daughter, and then uh, Jennifer Garner. It's you know, it's kind of one of those movies where um, you know she kind of goes from being an ordinary mom to becoming this badass. And the thing that I think is really interesting about it, and why I would kind of say people give it a give it a whirl is uh it's it's kind of one of those ones where what she's doing becomes kind of known publicly so she kind of like gets a reputation and it's like almost weirdly kind of like this film where like the people are actually you know and basically like she she's been living in this slum you know to kind of stay hidden stay under the tracks and and uh so they yeah there's there's kind of a situation almost like this film where the cartel uh takes her on on her turf in the slums and the people are with her and stuff and yeah like I I actually think it's a pretty interesting movie. I, I would actually urge people to go you know go with it and give it a chance.
1: Yeah I have a few I mean I think uh you know we have at this point by this count we have three Punisher films, all yeah. three of which I enjoy to different degrees, but I think they're right. all they're all a good time. Uh I love Warzone the most. Yeah. <laughs> um which Warzone is very much a Death Wish 3 kind of movie, right? We're right, Same, it is. Kind of just turn your brain off and go with it. But I will say uh, two I want to draw special attention to. Um, one which I think is really underrated and one which I think is just kind of like a little underknown. Uh The underknown one is the 1982 William Lustig film just called Vigilante with uh, Fred Williamson and Robert Forrester. Yeah. Uh, so I just saw that for the first time like a about a year, year and a half ago, and, and really enjoyed it. It's another just kind of good, old-fashioned, sleazy 80s film. You get Joe Spinell in there and Woody Strode. It's a, that's, a, that's a fun one. Um, but also, like, staying on the, like on the on the Death Wish run, and I, I wanted to ask you about this one, too, because I wonder how you feel about it. I think pretty underrated is 2007's Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. The, the, James, the James Wan film, which is actually technically based off of the novel that was the real sequel to Death Wish by Brian Garfield. Obviously they they rewrote it so it's not that character anymore. But uh, but yeah, I thought that movie was really good. I think I I don't know. It, it just felt like it came at a time where again, the genre was kind of the, vigil- the vigilante genre is just not a big deal as much anymore, you know. I guess I probably have hurt peppermint too. But I think Death Sentence is a good one because it it does what we were just talking about. Like it's a it's it is a effective action movie, but it also kind of gets more into the actual like emotional realm of of a vigilante journey right
0: yeah, yeah i really loved death sins and i got to say yeah. that, that it was kind of a uh... I thought he was doing good work at that point of his career, but that was like pretty much the, what should have been the end of James Wan's Hollywood career. Obviously, he came back with Insidious, but I really enjoyed Death Sentence uh, for what it was. I also enjoyed his previous movie to that. I think it was Dead Silence, and I uh, I thought he was doing good, really good stuff. I thought, if anything, like I thought, like we were watching the progression of him as a filmmaker from Saw. And uh, yeah, like it seemed like he was taken out of the game, and I'm, I'm I'm happy he's kind of back in with everything, and his career is bigger than ever. But it kind of sucks because now, like like when you see something like Death Sentence, you realize that's really something that James Wan wanted to do, and stuff like The Conjuring, and then he directed a Fast and the Furious film, and he's he's kind of playing the Hollywood game more now, and I'm I'm very excited. It's it's another horror movie, but he does have an original movie coming out later this year, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's, he feels to me like one of those, like, I think he, you know, this is a system we'd always heard about, but you don't see it done too much anymore. That kind of uh, two for them, one for me kind of idea. Yeah. And I'm hoping that he can kind of play that a little bit more now because, uh, but, I, but like I said, I'm happy for him. I think it's very cool that that's what, quite a, what a career, you know, to, yeah. to start with Saw and then, you know, move up and then, you know, get to that point of. Making something like The Conjuring and that turning into an entire franchise, and his name just being synonymous with the kind of horror that's really popular right now. Um, And really, I mean, I you know, to me, he's one of the only. There's like maybe two or three directors who can really do that jump scare kind of horror well. Right, and he's he's certainly like the best at it. um,
0: I always feel when you watch jump scare movies, it's you feel like you're like getting like kind of like the Diet Coke version of a horror film because usually the films all they have is jump scares. Where I feel like. James Wan gives you all the other kind of meat that you want in a horror movie. He doesn't just jump scare you and false promise you to death. He usually builds a good mythology. He does some mm-hmm. good payoffs with the tension. You know, like you usually get some, you know, I know some of his movies were PG-13, but the R-rated ones, I always felt like you got a gore, good gore payoff usually.
1: Well, even like the, with The Conjuring, just like what a simple idea was, but people hadn't thought about it before. It's like, okay, we can make a, we can make like a jump scare franchise, but... If it's like you just said, if it's just jump scares, that won't have a too long of a life. If we create this like couple at the center of it who are actually, you know, likable characters played by two likable actors, and people are actually emotionally invested in it, that'll work a little bit better, right? Now, of course, they had to base it off of two charlatans in real life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to bring up that aspect yeah. of it, but if, uh, if anybody's seen Paranormal State, you will see them in real life, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah.
1: I love the movie Warrens, and and don't think very highly of the real life Warrens. Exactly. But yeah, going back to the
0: vigilante thing, Travis, I I don't think, you know, obviously in our lifetimes, uh I don't think we'll see this genre return to form because um say what you want, but like you like we were talking about there there was a fear of crime, of criminals, almost a hatred of criminals at the time and I feel like our society is in a much different place now. I feel like uh people for whatever reason, um you know, obviously there's going to be exceptions to the rule, but but in general people are uh more, um, I don't know what you say. Humanistic looking at criminals, and they don't want to see them. You know, they they don't want to see people judge, jury, executioner. I, th- I think everybody yeah. realizes every every case is different, every instance is different. So like I don't well, think you have that then, thirst, you know, to watch this yeah, type of thing. Not to
1: bring this down and make this even more depressing, but I don't yeah. think that there's I don't think there's much of a, an appetite for movies about citizens arming themselves right yeah. and you know waging these kind of one these wars against uh, other citizens in an age of mass shootings every day you know i just think it's yeah. not something people i mean i haven't had this like a uh, thought i can't remember if you and i ever talked about this but so i i, I do love the john wick series uh-huh. and i remember going to see john wick 3 in the theater and like really enjoying it and that's a movie that ends with this like great like 20 minute gun battle and I remember actually, I talked to a lot of friends after the after the case about it, watching and sitting and thinking, I'm really enjoying this. This is like a lot of fun. It's very reminiscent of the the action movies I grew up with, which are these kind of like awesome gun battles and gun foo in the Hong Kong films. But just actually having a moment and thinking to myself, wow, this is really like such a gun fetish, fetishization, right? Yeah. And, and at a time where I'm just so disgusted by guns and, and wish something yeah. would be done about them. So there is just this just strange i don't know it's 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 a weird it's a weird time to be an action fan because of that well
0: like yeah i'm somebody uh i don't own guns i never own guns i've i've shot real guns once in my life um not something that really fascinated me but it's kind of weird because it's like i feel like you you have fans who um because like i know some people like I, I like fans that really like keanu and his john wick persona and they're also gun people and whatever and like like I'm like a lover of guns and movies. I've always been yeah. that way. I've always loved guns as a kid. I always, I had toy guns. I was always gun assessed, But as an adult, I never. I'm always afraid of, like, uh, you know, if you have a gun, you might you might get yourself in a situation where you have to use it or whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's it's like it's like it's, like, it's weird how some people are drawn to gun based entertainment because they like guns, and some people are like kind of, I guess, more like you and me, where it's like we love gunplay in movies, but we don't really like bring it into our real life of owning guns or, but you know what I mean? Like don't like it, it, it is a weird economy and it's like, I guess it's just all about like entertainment and stuff. But um, I
1: mean, it's, I guess it's at the end of the day, it's no different than loving slasher films, but not right. really loving serial killers, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> because, you know, the, like, like Netflix, um, they last year, maybe it was the year before, uh, it's, everything's a time blur the way things is, but either 2019 or 2020, Netflix with their huge empire of entertainment, they made a real commitment to Ted Bundy. Like, Mm -hmm. he was back in a big way, uh, documentary, feature film, and it's it's kind of, like, one of their properties that they promoted the most uh, in the last year or so. And it's, like, that thing of, like, I think there's a big difference between people who are, like, say, Freddy Krueger fans and people who are Ted Bundy fans, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, well, yeah, and then, like, the whole thing of, like sexy ted bundy right and, yeah. And, uh, yeah yeah getting into hey uh speaking of sexy though uh yeah. i i teased this earlier should we say should we briefly talk about just in case people don't know what we're talking about uh uh good old uh robert bronzy
0: yeah yeah i totally i totally lost so let's talk about robert bronzy he's a uh i can't remember is he a hungarian gentleman or, I, I believe
1: so yeah, yeah. it's something because he doesn't speak english right or if he does it's like a very a very accent. heavily accented yeah. from what i
0: understand yeah mm-hmm so yeah, so there is there is a guy, uh, his name is Robert Bronzy. I mean that's technically not his real name, but you know that's right, kind of like yeah. his stage name. Um, he was working in um, he he's, he kind of has like a stunt man uh, a background. He he rides horses. He was performing in like kind of like a Wild West type show overseas, and uh, somebody saw him who was involved in the movie industry and was like, oh geez, this guy's a dead ringer for Charles Bronson, mm-hmm. and he really is. I would say yeah definitely like either i say around like i don't know exactly how bronzy is but i say he really passes for death wish part
1: one type charles bronson yeah it's it is crazy how uncanny it is i remember like first hearing about it and then seeing like the pictures and just being kind of really like you know shook by it
0: yeah and like he'd done a couple little things but there's a filmmaker who actually lives very near where i live in northern california who went the full step to say not only should we bring him over and get him involved in America and films, um, but also portray him uh as the Charles Bronson Death Wish character. Um so they made this movie called Death Kiss, and it's like one of those things where like I don't think they even give Bronzie's character a name. I think mm-hmm. he's just like the stranger or something. And basically he comes to this small town and he he helps a uh it's like a single mother and she has like a, uh, a daughter who's like a uh, challenged in a wheelchair and whatnot. And he kind of like looks out for them. And uh, there's like some criminal element, like a, a drug gang. Uh, I want to say, um, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on his name now, but uh, Richard Tyson, the actor plays the leader of the gang kind of. And like, yeah, it's, it's very low budget. It's very much a red box type movie. And other than the fact that they dub Bronzy's ca- uh, voice, cause he has a heavy accent. And I, like I'll just be honest, though it's like the only complaint I have about the entire movie from start to finish is the voice is like so dubbed, so hokey. But other than that, it's a fun little thing, and anybody who's a uh, Death Wish, uh, uh, you know, you a uh, fan, I would say give it a watch. It's uh, you know, it's very low budget independent cinema, but it's it's you got to watch it it's been streaming you can buy a dvd on the cheap of it as well for probably less than ten dollars last time what i
1: thought was funny about it was when that whole thing happened you know i I never saw the movie but i saw the trailer you know it's something i've been meaning to get around to just because as you said it seems like an interesting novelty but that's the thing is at the time i thought like well that's that's a funny like one-off kind of novelty thing right but but they've kept going. Like, Bronson's yeah. made more films, and they're just really rolling with yeah. this. Like, him as, like, the reincarnation of Bronson. And and there's been, uh, I don't know how many more since then, but I've certainly seen posters for other films. And I don't know if they're still dubbing him or if he's starting to learn English a little bit better or what. But uh, it's just interesting that that's actually, as what started to seem like kind of a silly joke at first has really turned into this, this small, very small little kind yeah. of industry of films. But I, I got
0: to say, it's like, yeah, when the film was released, it didn't quite pay off that you know that level excitement but there was huge excitement generated on the internet when that first death kiss trailer came out for sure because everybody you know it's it's just like one of those things i guess it's it's kind of weird how things work nowadays is like on the internet people get very interested in things very quickly but they also forget about them very quickly and uh but yeah he's he's made other movies he made a western i know i think two westerns actually and then there was another director that used them in a like kind of like a a prison escape film like a futuristic prison escape film that's the one i want to track down and watch i haven't quite i haven't seen that one yet but but yeah the, the the spirit of uh of uh bronson is alive i even contemplated um because i know the guy that made death kiss i know he generally makes movies in the thirty thousand dollar range and i was just like mm-hmm. if if you can make a movie with bronzy in that range and kind of kind of make it more um i would probably try to go more of a dramatic like kind of like the first death which but if you could really like pull it off yeah like i think i would actually like to see him like work his way up and become you know because nothing wrong with guys like scott atkins and all that but like there's just been so many people that have just pumped out movie after movie in the uh, the direct-to-video action genre. I would like to see a new star emerge, in all honesty.
1: But that becomes the question of the bronzy, right? The thing about Bronson is, you know, you could make fun of his, his later performances, but the dude was a real actor. Yeah. And you see that in the original Death Wish. And I haven't seen Death Kiss, but very much from what I've heard, it's a lot of, this guy looks like Bronson. That's enough, right? So right. you can just have him stand on a scene, give him a gun and then we'll dub him. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think Bronzy has like the actual dramatic chops to do more than what he's being asked to in these films?
0: Yeah. It's, it, it's hard to say if he has the chops or not, but one thing I will say is, is, uh, I think he can do more with the with the right director, and, and I'm sure he's probably more comfortable now than when he first came over and did it for his first movie or two. I think he can, I mean, at the very least on the direct-to-video level, because um, they're kind of like a trend, Trev, and I'm sure you've seen it over the years, it's it's popped up in the Universal Soldier films or not. big thing right now is to get UFC fighters to portray mm-hmm. these things, because they're used to the physicality and the... Uh, yeah, I think Bronzy can, can do a lot more, Um, you know, like for what the standard is of, act, you know, B-movie action, direct, or acting right now. I think Bronzy, because in all honesty, like, it's kind of one of those things when I watch Death Kiss, as much as I enjoyed it for the Bronson feel... I was kind of more like I'm, cause I'm kind of you know like let's be honest where we're at with the filmmaking right now. There's not many genuinely tough looking guys, and I get it. Bronzy's always going to look like Bronson and all that. But I kind of was digging his vibe for real. And I kind of almost wanted to see him do something where he was kind of like allowed to go more in his own natural direction and not ape Bronson so much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But but yeah, like it's a great story, though, because I've read where he's gone to screenings, I I think over in Germany in person. And people are so excited to see him. And I mean, I'd love to see the guy get some more notoriety and do some more work, you know.
1: Makes me wish I looked like some famous dead actor. Yeah. Could you imagine if you look like uh uh
0: the reincarnation of Keanu Reeves, how much money you can make?
1: Well, they don't need a new Keanu Reeves right now, you know.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is like sixty like Keanu Reeves in all honesty, like he's probably like age wise where Bronson was in like the first Death Wish, but nobody thinks of him as an older actor, like at all. It's weird. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well act I don't it's strange, like um you noticed this as well, like uh there's something about older actors and just kind of older generations in general. I don't know if it's a matter of like the way like health is evolved or medicine has evolved, but you go back and watch a lot of these films and you're, you're looking up the actors and I'm sure that you have this as well too. Cause as you get old, you start to do this. Yeah. Where it's that thing where you find out that you're as old as certain actors were in films that you saw as a child and it blows yeah. your mind but I'll often look up like those actors like Charles Bronson or Lee Marvin, you know, those kind of guys. And when they were like 40, which I am now, they looked to me in my mind, like 60, you know, I was like, I'm just like blown. I'm like, how could they be as old as I am right now? That doesn't seem right. Uh, So I literally had my
0: mind blown the other night, Trev, when I did some math and I realized that, I am technically older now than Bruce Willis was when he made Die Hard with a Vengeance. That blew yeah. my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, like, we, we definitely, at some point, we got to do uh, Death Wish 4, and maybe there's some other Bronson films, but, uh, yeah, like, I Bronson is, like, it's weird, because I'm not going to lie, I kind of got into him ironically to kind of revisit these films cuz they were canon films and whatever. I'm actually a fan now. I like him. I've picked up a bunch of his movies on Blu-ray and like I said I watched maybe 5 or 6 of them when quarantine first happened and uh Yeah, like, I don't know, like, as much as he fit that tough guy role, like, it's easy to equate him to being, like, the kind of the predecessor to, like, Jason Statham, but even Jason Statham has a dramatic side to him that a lot of people don't think about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like
1: Which he doesn't use enough, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, like, I I enjoy Bronson a lot as an actor and definitely would continue to track down his stuff. And uh, did you ever see the one where it's, like, he's literally, all he's doing is being a reporter um investigating like a clan of two mormon families that keep killing each other have you ever seen that one
1: i have not you know I'll, I'll be quite honest like i maybe i should do the same thing you did and go into this like bronson deep dive because my bronson knowledge is well i shouldn't say knowledge but my my what i've seen of bronson is is woefully inadequate i think you know, so for like for me, I've definitely like I've seen you know the, the classics of like the Magnificent Seven and I, I, Once Upon a Time in the West, you know that kind of older stuff. Uh, Great Escape, of course, I love those. But when you get into that like that older run, um, you know I've seen Mr. Majestic, I've seen the Death Wish films. Uh, I saw Ten to Midnight, and i don't know i'm scrolling through his filmography now there's not too much else i've seen honestly yeah he i mean he was pretty uh
0: prolific one that like i actually have it recorded on my dvr i'm looking forward to watching is actually the white buffalo where he plays wild bill hickok mm-hmm. but um and like it's literally he's trying to hunt and kill a uh giant animatronic um a buffalo but yeah like 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 assassination is really good like I would say uh, get, see if you can give a watch to assassination where he plays a secret serviceman uh, protecting Jill Ireland who plays like the first lady uh, it's very much uh, it was made in between uh, Death Wish 3 and 4 Murphy's Law is another good one that was also made in uh, that um, that time period between Death Wish 3 and 4 I want to say Messenger of Death is, is the one with the um, the feuding fundamentalist Mormons. And it's always misrepresented that like, it's an action movie. Like they always show Bronson holding, like, like there's literally like a scene where he picks up, I think a shotgun and puts it like out of the way. So they <laughs> use on the poster. Like he's just a reporter. He doesn't kill anybody. He's just, a, a just trying to find out why this, this two, uh, groups of Mormon families are killing each other. And I gotta say, it's really enjoyable. Like it's really enjoyable just to see him in that type of role. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, we we obviously could talk about Bronson all night long. Um, but yeah, I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, Death Wish three, man, like wow, what what a what a knockout of a movie. And I know I know part four is probably uh, you know, doesn't live up. Part four is actually the only one I saw in theaters, Trev. Uh, growing up, it, you know. I had to be old enough to finally by the time death wish 4 was old enough i was finally old enough uh, to uh go see his movies but uh
1: yeah i can say i never had the joy of seeing a bronson film in the theater
0: yeah but yeah so uh everybody thanks for listening trev is there anything you want to talk about that you got interesting going on on your other shows
1: uh, uh well when is this one releasing uh probably t- two weeks from now three weeks from now so yeah so I'll say, you know, if you head over to, you know, uh, so I have the two shows you can check out, uh, uh, Days of Future Podcast, you hear about us talk about the, the X Men, me and my buddy Joe, and then uh, Failure to Franchise, the other movie podcast I do with my buddy Chris. We are heading into our two month run, uh, we're calling, which so that's a, in that podcast we talk about films that were meant to start franchises and did not take off for whatever reason, and we we get into it, we talk about our thoughts in the film and why it didn't work. Uh, and we're heading into our two month run called Mela Junvovich, where we are watching <laughs> wow. four, four Mille, uh, Jovovich movies, which, uh, go, you know that I, I love Milojovich. So Me I'm too. very excited Me about too. this. This is one of the very first things I pitched when we did this show. So through May and June, we'll be looking at Ultraviolet, um, oh, yes. Paul W.S. Anderson's The Three Musketeers, oh. the Hellboy reboot, yes, and The Fifth Element. Amazing. So, all four films that uh you know feature mila um and were meant to you know get sequels and everything and obviously did not and who knows we might even be able to come back to this next year with monster hunter and uh, oh yeah i know they there was just i don't know if you saw there was just a, an american a strange american theatrical release of a film that she made called the rookies yep. which came out in china like 2 years ago and bombed horribly and now they just threw it into like some amcs here as theaters are opening back up And uh, from everything I've seen, that looks like it was probably meant to be like a franchise starter as well. So I don't think we'll be done with Mila yet. But I'm very excited to talk about her because I just love Mila. And I think, you know, she doesn't get enough credit for her her place in like cinema history. Sounds so highfalutin. But as really, you know, despite what we're about to talk about, these films that didn't work, you know, you look at uh, the fact that Resident Evil is this billion dollar franchise and, and how long of a career she's had. She doesn't get enough credit for, I think, how marketable she's proven to be, and and like her place as a you know one of the few working female action like badass stars. I agree,
0: and um, I haven't seen Monster Hunter yet. I'm pumped to see it. Um, but yeah, I gotta, I, I t- it. yeah, I gotta tell you, dude, I am drooling. I am chomping at the bit to see the rookies. That
1: trailer, oh my <laughs> goodness, <laughs> it yeah. definitely it definitely looks like. Because I know you and I like love that like um, late '90s, early 2000s Hong Kong action, mm-hmm. and it just looked like such a fun throwback to that. Which I, which we don't get enough anymore. Right, right. Did you see the Jackie Chan like sci-fi action film from a couple years ago called Bleeding Steel?
0: No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Is yeah, <laughs> so
1: I would like recommend that one to you as well. It's very, very stupid, but man, is it a good time.
0: Yeah, it it, it looks very. Uh very uh up my alley uh but definitely There's something about jackie chan like yeah like i enjoyed like when he came back a couple years ago and made the foreigner and stuff but like that yeah. was a very somber film it was enjoyable but it was a very somber film when you can see jackie chan in something where he's just slapping ass and flipping around and being goofy and especially you know i understand he's probably older he can't do some of the stunts but he can still make that bewildered startled face i'm sure <laughs> yep yeah,
1: we. You and I should do. We should do a Jackie Chan movie someday.
0: We should. We should do. I don't. I don't know what we would do, but we we gotta work in some Mila. Man, I don't think we have ever covered Mila on this show. Uh, you you make the call. I'll
1: be there because right. uh, that is my. You know, everyone has their like ultimate uh, person. You know, their their number one like crush of all time. Yeah. And Mila is mine. You you know what I think is is amazing
0: about Mila is um she's obviously known for you know before i would say before she became a bona fide action star she was known primarily for beauty i mean it's no secret she's she's done like very high profile modeling the h- things highest
1: paid model in the world for a long time yeah. exactly
0: she she i think she still has some sponsorships with things like l'oreal or something like that, but the thing I love about her is she is willing to strip it all down, and if you've ever seen something like the film dummy. I love
1: Dummy Dummy's so good Dummy's so underrated
0: It is It is And I love her character Like I'm so obsessed With her character In that movie Mm -hmm. I need to watch it again I haven't seen it In probably 10 years But like I love her As Joan of Arc Like she is just You know Like I I agree A thousand percent She's got to be teamed up In the right project With the right director But I think she's so Much Like so capable of So much more Than what people Give her credit for
1: yeah, I mean you look at even like so like he got game, she's fantastic yeah. in that. And I've seen her be good in like, you know, like a movie like Stone, which isn't a great movie, but she's oh. really good in it, and
0: yeah. She's the best uh, thing about it. I was I was gonna say, like, did you ever think there'd be a day <laughs> when the, when there'd be a movie that had Robert De Niro and Edward Norton in it and they both were blown off the screen by
1: Miliovich?
0: <laughs> I mean it's true though. If you watch yeah. the movie, I i doubt very few people would disagree with that statement, in all honesty. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah. No. She's awesome. I would. I would say maybe we should do dummy if not for the fact that I think only five people would listen to that episode. But I would do. We
0: a, we need a good thematic sequel to our uh, chocolate war episode, which became <laughs> one of the lowest <laughs> listened to. But but you know, like sometimes, like you know, I wouldn't say like on this show we do one for them, one for us because I personally am interested in every movie we've ever done. But mm-hmm. uh, but there's definitely ones where it's like you know, it's like oh probably people will listen to this one because it's people have heard of this movie and you know, but sometimes you just got to say, you know what? Ratings ain't it. Cause I mean, like you said, we're just doing this for fun. We ain't, I never made a dime off this show, nor do I intend to, but it's like, sometimes you just got to do something for you that you just want to do so bad. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and if anyone is, like, listening to this and thinking, what the hell are you even talking about? If we can, like, try and convince you right now to, right. like, to watch this movie. I mean, um, if you guys don't, if you have never heard of this film, Dummy, it's this, like, really cool, bizarre, little indie, I guess, would you call it a rom-com? Would that, would that be the the, like, yeah. the the genre it falls into, I guess, right? I, I, like I could, but it's,
0: it. it Trev, wouldn't you say it was around that time, like, the early 2000s, where it be, kind of became a thing in independent films to kind of make, like, deconstructionist rom-coms, kind of?
1: Yeah, and, it, you know, I think a dramatic comedy, I suppose. But, but I mean, just this, this cast, right? I think I think it's really strange this is underrated because, you know, you have Adrian Brody,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Miliovich, Ileana Douglas, uh, Vera Farmiga, Jared Harris shows up, yep. and uh, the late, great Jessica Walter in it as well. So I think it's definitely something people should, it should be on more people's radars. And it's just this, like, really fun film about Adrian Brody's this very socially awkward uh, individual gets this ventriloquist dummy and is trying to, like, use it to express himself. And Miliovich is his bizarre best friend. And then Vera Farmiga is, uh, which it's been a while since I've seen it, too, but she's, like, a social worker or something, right, that mm-hmm. so is trying to yeah. help him. And then the relationship that forms between them. Like a therapist but, or something, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the first things I ever saw her in, too, and just started another, like, uh, I talk about another person I have a crush on, Vera Farmiga. But...
0: I think that, you ever see this movie, Trev? I think the first movie I ever saw Vera Farmiga in was, um, it might have been, like, one of those weird ones that was, like, a blockbuster video exclusive. But there was, like, this movie, like, an independent movie with her and Christopher Walken in it. Where Christopher Walken was, like, an old, like, thief that would, like, break into the safes or something. And Vera Farmiga played his daughter. And it was just, like, this little independent kind of quirky drama i've not on seen new, that yeah no but, it, but
1: no because in fact like looking at her filmography now i can guarantee the first thing i saw her in was uh, was dummy and then probably nothing again until uh the departed
0: interesting uh yeah like uh by the way this is just totally incidental but vera formiga was in the film orphan and uh, i actually came across a news story the other night where uh it actually like i don't know if the movie was based on it or maybe this happened later but that actually happened at least one yeah, case no, that i saw enough, yeah.
1: oddly enough that happened after the movie yeah i yeah, know yeah. i know what you're
0: talking about yeah very odd very uh well we'll wrap this up uh we know we you know it's gone on to a little little long here but uh yeah uh bronson is on the loose <laughs> as always but yeah everybody want to thank you again for listening trev obviously thank you for willing to go down
1: the death wish three rabbit hole yeah, no, no I was gonna say anytime, but we won't do this one again. But no. yeah, but anytime but anytime you need me in the graveyard, you know I'm around. You know, I've always like like
0: wanted to do like an experimental podcast that's a movie commentary podcast where every episode is just a commentary for the same movie.
1: I had that Joe you know, I had the, not commentary, but I had that idea like a long time ago too where I thought it'd be funny to do a podcast that was just reviewing the same movie every now, there was a version of that. There was a podcast called um the I think it was called something like the greatest idea of all time. Mm-hmm. Or or it, it was either that or the worst idea of all time. But it was them watching uh, Grown Ups 2 every week for a wow. year. And then I think when they wrapped it up, they did other movies after that. I think they did like Sex in the City 2 and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was obviously like a joke, right? Like they right. forced themselves once a week. They had to put their phones away and sit there and watch Grown Ups 2 uh, and sit through the entirety. And they weren't allowed to sleep during it or anything. And then they would talk about it every week. But I thought it would just be funny to do a podcast where you're just kind of reviewing, like a like a you know like a real movie that you enjoy every week. But you have to basically challenge yeah. yourself. What can we keep talking about and see if how long you can run that? Can that run for years? You know exactly.
0: I think if I had to pick a movie to do that, I would pick Death Wish three. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would work. But anyway, listeners, thanks again so much. I'm so appreciative to all the people that listen to the show and uh, you know kind of help keep the spirit of these sometimes forgotten movies alive it's always enjoyable it's always great fun to do this show and i appreciate it everybody thanks a lot and we'll see you again right back here next time in the movie graveyard